now I'm just imagining kind of like an expendable scenario where you get Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, and Nick Saban together for one last ride to, to win, a, <laughs> win a ring, you know? Hello, welcome to stop shop for news views and overreactions to all things nfl this week we're taking a, a moment's silence for all those who we've lost to this week of coaching firings so hey we got connor here we got ronan hello and we got sean hello. how are we get on lads how's tricks sean you've you've finally made it home after some car trouble yes just arrived in waterford last night about two and a half weeks away extended by three days because my wife's car got written off in a the most innocuous car crash in the history of the world but still enough to destroy a 2008 volkswagen golf trying to get the pets home was the big challenge so finally my parents were on their way down to cork so they they drove us down to waterford yesterday it was touch and go as to, as to whether i'd be able to do this podcast i'm here i'm ready coach you can put me in Excellent. I will say, I will, we'll come to it in a bit, but possibly the, the, the day or two delay on this week's podcast was worth it, given some of the news that's come in. Ronan, how's all down in Cork? Grand, settling back in. Yeah, looking forward to some uh, playoff football. But as you said, a lot of uh, mutual partings of ways to get through before we get to that. Yeah, big time, big time. We had a nice kind of relaxed-ish week here. It's my first week back in the office, so kind of getting back into the 9-5 lifestyle. Yeah, looking forward to a lot of football this weekend. Got a bit of D&D coming up. We're also taking the dog man training, which is far less sexual than it sounds. So it's kind of like scent training thing for them to go and find. You can get them find people or things in woods and stuff like that. So we have our playoff lineup. So on the AFC side, we've got Baltimore with the number one seed, followed by Buffalo in number two. Kansas City at three, Houston at four, Cleveland at five, Miami at six, and Pittsburgh taking the seventh spot. The NFC side, San Francisco at the top spot, followed by Dallas, then Detroit, Tampa Bay, Philadelphia at five, the Rams at six, and Green Bay at seven. Pittsburgh and Green Bay, maybe not the best argument that we've seen for the inclusion of the extra team into the playoff. Other bit of news coming out of that that's finalised is that Chicago have the number one draft pick and are currently deep in figuring out what they're going to do with that, whether they want to keep Justin Fields and trade it, whether they want to pick up some other players. It's going to be an exciting time for that. We've got a lot of coaching news, and Sean, you've been worried about this coming in a couple of times this season, so breaking news, New England have parted ways what? with Bill Belichick. <laughs> After 24 seasons with the team, six Super Bowls, he's gone 296 and 142 in games over that time, kind of widely seen as the greatest coach of the modern era at any rate, if not the best of all time. He's been let go after a couple of years of kind of rudderless stuff post Tom Brady leaving. They had a halfway workable season that year that they had Cam Newton in there. And as you kind of saw the roster dissolve around it, we kind of go, that actually might have been a better job than we thought it was at the time. Because at the time we thought it was terrible. But yeah, I would won't say a surprise. We weren't sure if it was going to happen, but we thought there was a chance of it happening, that it had just gotten a bit stale. New England need to, to move on. Kraft is kind of, he's even older than Belichick is and kind of wants to, to, to finish out on a high and wants to put the team in a good position. And he thinks that they need to get some fresh blood in there. So we'll see how that works. Bill Belichick himself, he's not retiring. He's just leaving here. So expect to see him in some head coaching roles somewhere else around the league. He's Coming up on the all-time win record, I think he probably needs about two or two and a half seasons to get there. Because I think he's about, is he 
17 games back or it something like that? It depends if you count postseason or not. He's about 26 behind in regular season and about 15 behind in, if you count the postseason wins. Yeah, so he'll probably, probably want three years to, to make that up, to be sure. An interesting time, because we're going to talk about it in a bit, there's a lot of head coaching jobs opening up here, and I think even ones that aren't open might open if Bill Belichick was available. But, Sean, you've kind of lived most of your, if not all of your Patriots fandom under Bill Belichick so uh, how does it feel to see him walking out the door I mean it's it's not a shock I guess it's it, we kind of has been a thing that we've been talking about all year so it's not a shock it is it's sad it's it's the final confirmation of the of the era being over that you know slowly these past few years we've seen pieces leaving and once Brady left and it all just kind of it's gotten progressively worse and now this is the, this is the end of the dynasty I mean, part of me is like, we can go one more time, just give him a decent offense and he'll get you in, you know, he's got still got that defensive mojo and bring us back to good places. But there's also part of me goes that maybe it's just, it's just time. It is just, it's, I, I imagine it's maybe how some United fans might've felt about the Alex Ferguson thing. It's just like, there comes a moment when it's just like, okay, maybe we need to, to part ways and, and move on because you're getting old and this is... Yeah, it's it's time to, to move on to new pastures. I'm excited to see where he goes next. There, I don't think there is a question mark over whether or not he is, you know, the greatest coach of all time or top three greatest coaches of all time. I, th- I think he's proven his jobs. I think there are, are still some naysayers who say that he hasn't won a Super Bowl without Brady and his record without Brady is not spectacular and therefore he's a he's a fraud etc etc and maybe I'm I'm interested in seeing if he goes to I mean the, the two places I've heard possible are the Chargers or the Falcons if he goes there turns them around and wins the Super Bowl one of those two teams especially if he wins the Super Bowl with someone like the Chargers I think that's probably the the end of the conversation I think he, he maybe himself feels not only does he need the head coaching win record but maybe he needs a post Brady Super Bowl to really just demonstrate to people how good he is so I'm interested to see where how he go somewhere else i think it's it's a it's a fresh look i'm more concerned about what happens in new england now because if Kraft is willing to do this i i just don't trust the judgment at all about who's going to bring in or how they're going to move forward it kind of feels like whatever was working for the pats that mojo is now completely gone they are now just an entity that will move with the waves of you know free agency and caps and drafts and but there's nothing special about this organization anymore it feels it's going to be difficult to climb their way back up without someone like Belichick at the helm so I'm, I'm concerned about the Pats moving forward I'm not concerned about Belichick and I'm kind of interested to see where he goes from now on yeah and there's a couple of people linked to the New England job that we will be talking about in a minute but Fitz do you have any thoughts on that or do we want to just pull the band-aid off the next uh <laughs> the next one as well a very funeral uh vibe around today's uh podcast yeah uh, uh two two out of three uh, here poor, you guys getting up there as well you know these are kind of the oldest coaches there's only one uh, left kind of don't you put that juju on me fits <laughs> seattle seahawks have removed pete carroll as their head coach after 14 seasons uh he won a super bowl took them to another one and came dangerously close to winning it but it was actually the chap who we just spoke about bill belichick who was heading up the defense that stopped them he finishes with 137 89 and one god that one looks ugly on there doesn't it <laughs> was uh, that the six all that was the six all in yeah part. seattle uh, the record of seattle head coach uh obviously like the Super Bowl success will be remembered. The, the loss the following year will be remembered as well. But this is a defensive-minded head coach who's had terrible defences for the last five to seven years. They're playing in an incredibly tough 
division in the NFC West. We've got youth and innovation coming from San Francisco and the LA Rams. Like This is kind of very much a we need new blood in here. And you can tell that this was a, a management decision. One, Carol is being said that he's going to move into kind of an advisor role within the organization. We'll see if he stays there or whether, because I think he probably still has something in the tank if he wanted to go somewhere else as well. The other thing is that he was talking maybe only about a week or 10 days ago about how he was looking forward to coaching the team next year and wants to stay on as head coach. So this is not his decision that he made. But look, he brought them a great deal of success after a period of, of them being down a little bit. He had Russell Wilson go from the third round pick into Super Bowl winner into giant massive boon in a trade to them. Won that battle, we'll say, uh, between himself and Russell Wilson where they kept him over Russell. But unfortunately now he's gone, Ronan. And how do you feel about this? It's a really tough choice to have. Like, this is more surprising than the Belichick one based on where the team is. It kind of feels like the Seahawks have been in, for lack of their term, the Tomlin zone. They're always kind of in and around like 500, more often above 500, below 500, but they're not a serious threat to win a Super Bowl for basically nearly a decade now. Like it's a long time since they were, you know, the team that everyone feared in like 2012, 2013, when they were making Super Bowls and it looked like a dynasty was being built. Like the last five years... As you said, the defense, and he's a defensive coach historically, has been terrible. The offense deserves more credit, I suppose, because, of course, if you can take Geno Smith and turn him into, like, a playoff quarterback, that deserves respect. And I think, you know, you take the guy, Russell Wilson, who is considered to be on a Hall of Fame trajectory, and possibly still is, and take him out of the system, and suddenly he turns to shit. I think you get the sense that Pete Carroll... And the philosophy he's built into his offensive coordinators, the various ones over the years, that, you know, make the job easy. And the quarterback has succeeded. But the problem is, is that he's existed, as you say, in a division that now has two of the best young offensive minds in the league in Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan. And they've been spanking his butt when they haven't been completely overthrown by injuries for the last three, four years. These guys, when they're fully healthy, just hammered the Seahawks especially the Rams but even the 49ers more recently have been doing it as well and if two of the other teams now look like almost automatic wins unless they're having a an injury plague season I understand why there, there's a sense from 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 management from the GM from the owner that you know maybe it's better to stop now while you had a couple of additional winning seasons with Geno Smith than to kind of maybe see this decline into the kind of stuff we saw over the last year uh, or two of Bill Belichick they've offered him an advisory role like moving him into an ambassadorial or advisory role it sounded like in his exit interview that he, with the press, that he wants to continue coaching. I think there will definitely be people interested in him because he still has the vim, he still has the vigor. It's just really, I think he had so much control over Seattle. He had personnel control and stuff like that, similar to Bill Belichick. Will he be willing to uh, admit at this age and be able to pull in new innovative people around him to make that work because he has a, had a habit, like coaches when they get that old tend to, of like just getting the same guys, the same friends, getting them together and, you know, you've had diminishing results going forward. But look, he won, like he created one of the best defences in the modern era, the Legion of Boom. He won a Super Bowl for a team that had only made one Super Bowl before that and which had lost in controversial manner and he reinvigorated a team. Like speaking personally, you know, when I started watching NFL, it was after you guys brought me round for a few beers to watch was it the Cardinals Pittsburgh Steelers and it was a year later I just said uh, I just need to pick a team basically and I was like how about them Seahawks basically and that was like the first year of the Pete Carroll era and now for the last 14 years you know it's just been here's Pete Carroll's all the way from 
Matt Hasselbeck's broken down ass, <laughs> leading them to like seven and nine, but somehow making the playoffs and the, the beast quake. And then, you know, Tavares Jackson and the kind of bullshit. And then drafting Russell Wilson, the Legion of Boom coming together, winning a Super Bowl, losing a Super Bowl. And then, you know, a decade of, you know, not quite being good enough to make it back to the Super Bowl, but making the playoffs consistently. It's It's been quite the ride and he deserves all the love and respect he's going to get from Seattle. But yeah, I think, you know, the, the tide has turned on him in terms of being a dominant coach and you know the team has made the brave decision i think to, to not enter the tomlin zone and to aspire for more but you know we know in the nfl it's as likely to go way down without the kind of the nice safe floor of parallels to go up but you know in the nfl it's a win now business it's a winning business so mm. it's probably a decision they had to make at some point Pete carroll just wouldn't take the advice of stop trying to make gino happen it's not going okay. to happen <laughs> Gino wasn't the problem. It was the defense was the problem. No, but I'd say, a, I'd say Gino's on the way name. out now as well, though, because Pete Carroll was his biggest defender. So there's a strong chance that Gino might be might be moving. Uh, we'll move on to our next head coach who's gone. Tennessee have fired Mike Vrabel. Vrabel's been fired after six seasons. 54 and 45 is his record as a head coach. Broadly been successful with the team. But, you know, we've been complaining about this team for about three years now. They found something that worked and then they just refused to change from that and the roster has degraded over time. The team is kind of worn down. You know, this is the last year of Derek Henry. There's still question marks at the quarterback. Like, they're basically entering a full rebuild mode in Tennessee and Vrabel doesn't really want any part of that. This very much felt like a Vrabel forcing himself out situation. He had had disagreements with general managers beforehand following the trade of their uh, wide receiver at the draft. This hasn't really worked since then. I survived past that GM, but there's also in disagreement with the current one, kind of wants to have roster input, at least, if not roster control, a la Bill Belichick, which is the tree that he comes from. They weren't happy to give it to him. Tennessee management seemed a bit confused about this. They kind of said, look, this isn't the direction that we want to take this team in. We're going in a new direction. And then when asked what that new direction was, they said, oh, we're not going to tell you that. <laughs> Not just yet, but when we get there, we'll tell you. Yeah, there's a lot of people out on the internet thirsting after Mike Rabel for their head coach positions. There's a lot of people linking him to the Patriots because he played with the Patriots, played under Bill Belichick, knows that system pretty well. I think that'll be a regressive step because I don't think you just want to go for more of the same. I'm going to go out there on a limb, boys. I don't think Mike Rabel is a very good coach, and I don't think anyone should hire him. <laughs> I think he's a good defensive coach. I, I think he, given what the defenses he's produced in Tennessee, given the talent, the talent deficiency that he's had to work with, especially in like the, the year they got the number one seed or whatever, they had a really good defense by having like nobody. I just think he's not an offensively minded coach whatsoever, and he he needs to be paired definitely with an OC who knows what he's doing and is willing to do exciting things. Because I think they the problem with the Titans is, is offensively they just defaulted into Derrick Henry plus middling quarterback will get us 10 wins and that's all we need to worry about. So I again, he's one of these things I'm interested to see where he ends up. I happen to not think he'll end up in New England, although they're, that's where some of the rumors say he, he wants to go. But I'm interested to see what would happen if you gave this guy like like a Ravens level of talented defense or even like a Pats level of talented defense, what he'd be able to do with that. Because I, I do think he, he's definitely in the Belichick tree in terms of that he's he's learned a lot of stuff defensively from Belichick and he's able to he gets he makes defenses more than some of their parts I think he, he needs to be given credit for that so I'm interested to see where that happens the Titans I mean I understand it's a rebuild you want to go back to the start you don't want the guy doesn't want to stick around for the, the four years or whatever it'll take to rebuild but the Titans I don't know where they're going to go from here because they've got nothing basically to attract uh, a new head coach uh, a, a talented one at least they'll have to risk gambling on someone inexperienced I would think 
I think you underestimate Connor how hard it is to get to the AFC Championship game or to be the number one overall seed with like Ryan Tannehill as your goddamn quarterback. That's really hard, and I think it's a testament that Vrabel is very good at getting his players playing hard for him. I think the sense I get is the players love him, but that his relationship with his uppers, his GMs and stuff, and the owners have been more spiky, maybe because he wants to have more control. And I definitely wouldn't, like, ideally want to have more control. We've seen, you know, the Bill Belichick stuff hasn't worked recently. We saw Bill O'Brien back in the day didn't work out. So, like, it's a tough kind of balancing act. But I think in terms of just being a coach on the field who maximizes the talent that he has... I think he's very good. If he could just be willing to be more open to an OC and stuff like that, he could be he could be great. But I think for teams who are looking for a good coach, uh, I don't see why he would like not be you know someone that you would consider. I think we massively overrate this stuff because I don't think the team has been vibrant, dynamic, or exciting for years. Like he's yeah, but won, they won he's games. Won, he, no, no, but like he's won two playoff games in the entirety, and both those games were just Derrick Henry in prime Derrick Henry form. He went for like 180 yards in one and over 200 yards in the other. I could coach a fucking team that Derrick Henry gets 200 yards and win a fucking playoff game. I don't think he's very good. When you think about the last three or four years in this podcast, has there been any point where you've been like, yes, we're getting to talk about the Titans? You know, someone like Marvin Lewis back in the day for Cincinnati was not a bad coach. He was a good coach, but... You know, did you ever feel he'd get them to the promised land? No, because but he wasn't. Was sitting... He wasn't sitting with a like you know a V8 turbo engine of a running back that's just going to get him idea, 200 yards a the game. The idea like... that you can win, yeah. Well, like, look, anyway, there's disagreement there. I think he's, <laughs> he has enough of his CV that it would be surprising if he didn't get it. Oh, he's definitely going to get it. I just think whoever gets it needs to like rein him but in, think... like because he's. I don't think he's. Yeah. I don't think he's. As I, good I just as don't think thinks. he's ever had the personnel. That he's really needed uh, to be an elite coach. So I think give, he, give him the opportunity, I would say. I don't think it's going to happen, but he, sh- he should be a little bit humbled by what's happened here and he should take on lessons from what he's, he, he, he learned from Tennessee. Because if, if he put him under a good roster and he can just put the offense in the hands of someone who makes it work, then I think he genuinely could be like great. Speaking of someone who has a good roster and won't listen to anyone, Arthur Smith <laughs> has also been fired. Three seasons in Atlanta, uh, each one of the seasons 7 and 10. Hasn't really been able to rebuild the offense, even though you know they've spent first-round picks on running backs, wide receivers, tight ends. They've never really been able to figure out the quarterback position, but also Arthur Smith is just done bizarre random things we complained about him all year this year about like not using his first round pick running back in the red zone and not using not giving touches around and just just messy stuff really i'm not surprised to see him gone i'm kind of happy to see it i was wondering if they were going to be kind of cheap and let him have an extra game i do wonder if the absolute spanking of the saints played into it at all although i imagine it had to have been on the cards beforehand Uh, otherwise it's even a worse organization than I thought it might have been if they allow a single result to, to cause this much of a move around in them. But this is a this has been a forgettable era for Atlanta, let's be honest. I think it's a situation where as I talked about in the like, you know, so many months ago in the preview for Atlanta, like this is the third year of his tenure. It was kind of strange to be doing kind of the proper rebuild in year three, but that was kind of a sense of it was a, you know, the long tail of the Dan Quinn era was quite bad. Like he had built this very expensive team that hadn't worked out. I do get the sense that the owner, Arthur Blank, didn't really want to fire Arthur Smith. I think he genuinely did believe in him and that he could improve this. But, and I think then the job for Arthur Smith was just not to piss off the fans effectively, but he has done everything in his power, it feels like, to amplify his own ineptitude, to make the points where he's been bad stand out even more than they should. His, like, boneheaded decision to, you know, draft B. John Robinson and then half-use him to, like, defend Desmond Ritter to the death 
and then two weeks later replace him with Taylor Heineke and they go back to Ritter. And I like, you know, when, when you start flip-flopping the quarterbacks, that's the sign when things are going wrong. If you just stuck with Ritter, had a seven or eight win season and just used Bijan consistently, like it probably wouldn't have been much better here. I think they might have had like an extra win or two. Maybe they would have been competition for the NFC South in that situation. But regardless, I think he would still have his job, but he just arrogance personified you know obviously the son of, of, of a billionaire maybe there's a little bit of there and yeah to invest in these big names these names that you want to put on the big board Bijan robinson drake london kyle pitts it's tough and like you know any coach who, who loses their job when they never had the right quarterback quote unquote it's always a little bit tough on them but sympathy for arthur smith i'm finding it very hard to get together and he really signed his own debt warrant and yeah i think honestly i do think that the way the last game went did have a, a strong influence on making it easier for arthur blank because i think this is a guy who definitely would have been given an extra year by that owner if he just got out of his own way it's it's the perfect example of someone having the talent and not utilizing it i mean i, I, don't, I don't think we can have any sympathy for this guy and i think one has covered the problems of his arrogance and the misuse of talent. And it does mean the Falcons are a very interesting proposition for a new head coach because you've got a lot of young, skillful players, albeit you have to fix the quarterback, which could take a little bit of doing. But you've got a you've got a skill position, receiving core thing going on where a, a young, innovative coach can do a lot of exciting things with a lot of, with a lot of exciting players. So this is one to watch for what happens next. I have no interest in seeing Arthur Smith coach again. No. Uh, and I, I don't know if he will. I'd question where you'd put him as a coordinator on your staff after this season. Like, just baffling decisions at all times. And like you said, just like highlighting his own mistakes and just getting on the wrong side of everyone. Washington have also moved on. They fired their head coach, Ron Rivera, after four seasons. 26 and 40 and a draw in there as well. They also got rid of GM Martin Mayhew. Look, they changed ownership at the tail end of summer. So we kind of knew that this was probably coming and Ron Rivera didn't pull enough out of the bag to kind of really razzle-dazzle them into keeping him. They're bringing in a whole load of new executives to help with the search for the new head coach. So this is kind of, you know, properly closing the book on the Snyder era to a certain extent. There's some the Snyderverse. <laughs> release the Snyder cut. Big changes are probably coming in here. They've got the number two pick. There's a lot of quarterback options or a lot of skill player options, but I imagine it's probably going to be quarterback here. We'll see what they do at head coach. Like They're going to probably cast the net wide. This is ownership that have been involved in successful franchises in other sports, so I imagine that they might be a bit more attractive to people, although they will be looking to move some pieces around. We saw them you know, sell off their young defensive line players and stuff uh, during the season. So, you know, there's a lot of lot of moving parts here. Like, we, we knew this one was coming. Like, like, he was just the caretaker for the end of the Snyder era, just designed, brought in to basically clean things up a bit and basically just kind of take away attention from Snyder. You know, to bring in Ron Rivera, everyone considers him a good dude. He survived cancer. He's just the face of the franchise while this dead regime is slowly rubbed out of existence now that, that job is done and josh harris and his consortium is in charge and they're gonna bring forth the new bright future for the washington franchise and whatever name they choose next or if they keep commanders or not that makes sense and it's been inevitable like unless he'd gone on a super run which didn't seem like he's been out of date really as a coach for for five years at this point it just was never gonna happen so look fair play to ron very he's a good guy he did a good job of what he was brought in to do but as a lead head coach, he is not at that level anymore, and uh, they're probably moving in a much more younger, dynamic sense. For this roster, like you have, like we'll talk more in the off season, but there are some talent there. But yeah, it's a fairly stripped back roster, so you'll be able to really put your imprint on it as a GM uh, head coach pairing, whoever they choose. 
An extra bonus one, non-NFL related, but football fans will know him. Uh, Alabama coach and former Miami head coach Nick Saban has retired. He's uh, widely considered to be one of the greatest college coaches of all time, if not the best. Uh, he has seven national championships, and yeah, a uh, bit of a surprise. But I think <laughs> with the with the changes with the portal and all that kind of stuff and the name lights, I think it was starting to move a little bit past. His his big thing was he was able to recruit incredibly large classes and all that kind of stuff and i think some of that is is falling out of it a little bit but it's, it's going to be hard to replicate seven national championships yeah. obviously one of the best at that level it's not something we're all any of us i would say we're strengthened in terms of the college game but you know he's obviously one who stood out one of the early victims of bill Belichick, i would say within the AFC east uh when he did have his brief miami tenure yeah. before going to alabama and blowing the doors off college football for for two decades now i'm just imagining kind of like an expendable scenario where you get bill belichick pete carroll and nick saban together for one last ride to, to win a <laughs> win a ring you know oh my gosh uh, nick saban great college manager not really nfl guy yeah. but uh, yeah major yeah. respect for what he achieved at that level and it's, like, um, it's a completely it's a completely different game at college because so much of recruiting and stuff like that yeah uh, a, a friend of ours was sharing some uh, some quotes from him in the uh, chat that he was giving to his players let's just say that shit wouldn't fly this day and age so uh yeah we'll see open head coach jobs so are carolina vegas chargers atlanta washington tennessee seattle new england and uh, as those start to fill up we'll, we'll let you know what's going on carolina fired their gm scott fitter after three seasons this is probably in no small part to do with the uh, trading up for Bryce Young, number one in the draft, and him kind of shitting the bed and other ones doing incredibly well. Yeah, Carolina are in free fall. New York Giants defensive coordinator Dominic Markendale has resigned. It comes after they fired uh, several of his assistants. It very much feels like a they wanted him to quit. They didn't want to fire him. So they just fired all of his staff and all of his friends and then said, well, if you want to stay, you can stay. If I remember correctly, he went off the radar for like a day while he figured out what he's going to do. And then did this happen? Uh, Jacksonville fired the defense coordinator, Mike Caldwell and uh, defensive staff and running backs coach on offense following what we will be discussing in the game of them falling out of playoffs and winning their division. Chicago have gotten rid of offensive coordinator Luke Getze alongside most of the offensive assistants. It would appear that Matt Eberflus is going to stay on as the head coach now, but they're going to bring in a new staff around him. I believe they're also talking about like taking some some of the duties off him as well, that he's going to bring in a, a defensive coordinator, even though he'll still do the play calling and stuff like that. We'll talk about that more in the offseason. Yeah, I think there was a weird thing with his old DC where they retired under suspicious circumstances, Alan Williams, but uh, I still haven't, haven't figured out exactly what happened there. Scott yeah. Fitterer, like... <laughs> like it's the most obvious firing of all time like if you trade the trade the farm for the number one overall pick and then you go to the 13 and have a, and your number one overall picks going to someone else you're getting fired like i'm sorry wink martindale is interesting because yeah it kind of sounded at the end they actually wanted to keep him but like basically the reports we got was he had resigned now officially on the record it's like they mutually parted but he fucking he left basically yeah they fired uh, all his friends and then they wanted yeah. him to quit like Jacksonville, interesting. I wouldn't say the defense has been terrible. It's never quite lived up to all the investment they've made. And obviously, after a tough ending to the season, we'll talk about uh, briefly later on, tough tough ending for Jacksonville. So someone's got to get the hit, I suppose. And Luke Getze, I suppose with him gone, Justin Fields probably gone. Interesting times ahead for Chicago. Iberflus, I wouldn't want him in Iberflus' boot because this feels like a one-year job. If he doesn't get it done next year with a number one over pick, he might be in a lot of trouble next offseason. 
yeah, we'll see, we'll see. I think also getting rid of all the offensive assistance is an interesting one and you're trying to look in your crystal ball for Justin Fields because that could either be that they don't think that they are, you know, designing the right kind of stuff for Fields like, or it could be that they're cleaning house because they don't need to run that kind of offense anymore. They're going to pick up someone at the I, top. I, t- I think the public statement of Justin Fields for the GM was he has improved, but we have to consider all of our options. So yeah, yeah. I'm like 90% he's gone. Trades and signings. Baltimore have picked up Dalvin Cook, the running back who got himself released from the Jets. So he goes from the Jets to the <laughs> top seed, the AFC. Good job, Dalvin Cook. We've got a couple of injuries to fly through. Uh, we'll just stick to the playoff relevant ones. Miami linebacker Jerome Baker has injured his wrist. He's gone for the season. Linebacker Andrew Van Ginkle has done his ankle and he's gone for the season. In response, they've picked up Justin Houston, Bruce Irvin and Malik Reed. They're just trying to find anyone they can start at linebacker at the moment. Pittsburgh, TJ Watt has injured his knee and he's going to miss at least the wild card game we'll see how that progresses buffalo's wide receiver gabe davis hurt his knee and he's day-to-day green bay wide receiver romeo dubs injured his chest and he's day-to-day detroit played their starters and tight end sam laporta got his knee injured he's week to week almost certainly not playing this week uh Khalif raymond uh, their wide receiver has also hurt his knee in his week to week philadelphia quarterback jalen hurts hurt his finger but is expected to play through it that looked horrible on the sidelines but apparently wasn't as bad as it looked wide receiver AJ Brown hurt his ankle in his day-to-day and Cam Jurgens, their offensive lineman hurt his eye in his day-to-day and Tampa Bay quarterback Baker Mayfield has a rib injury and an ankle injury but he's going to tough it out and he's going to keep playing through it so obviously a lot of these we'll talk about these when we get to the previews I think for the most part just to note linebacker for Miami is now a big concern because they've lost their two main pass rushers and now they're basically out of most of their starting linebackers as well it's not great for them in terms of the previews we can talk like the Miami defense is going to be much weaker than it would effectively like a month ago obviously Pittsburgh's defense without TJ Watt that's a major step down obviously missing Slam Laporta will definitely affect the Detroit offense but you imagine they might be able to survive it Philly are like you're just throwing the corpse in there and seeing if it has any twitch left in it and mm. uh, they thankfully get to play the weakest probably other playoff team and Baker Mayfield hurt we know in the past when he plays through the pain his performance can really yeah. drop off only other bit of news we'll mention is that they've announced the home teams for the international series. So Jags, Bears and Vikings are all going to play in London with Jags playing at Wembley and the other two playing at the Hot Toddy in Tottenham Hotspur. Carolina are confirmed as the home team for Germany. So we'll let you know as we kind of get info on who their opponents will be. But on this Shaping Up To Be Bumper episode, let's look at the games from last week. <laughs> So first up, we have Buffalo at Miami, 21 to 14. Buffalo win a roller coaster of a game. Uh, it's a roller coaster in that they spent three and a half quarters slowly climbing upwards and not doing fucking anything, and then played real hard for about seven minutes. Allen had 426 yards, two touchdowns, and two interceptions. Played pretty poorly in the first half, but then kind of came in when it was very important that the in the second half they weren't really getting anything going at all until a special teams touchdown kind of gave them a bit of spark and then suddenly the Dolphins were away on the on, on the back foot and they didn't really know what they were doing and that allowed them to obviously win the AFC East. Tua had a bad day, 173 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions and this Buffalo defense just kind of kept him in check. Hill, I must say, was kind of a problem in this game for them. He had two big drops that kind of killed them, particularly the second one where a ball went in and out of his hands and killed their drive to try and get themselves back into this game. And he, he still had 82 yards and touchdown. He didn't 
have like a terrible day, but he had a couple of drops and miscues that were a little bit uncharacteristic of him. But as I said, the Bills literally burnt down his house, so he kind of knew he had to drop a few of them to keep them happy. Uh, running backs were carrying most of the load for them. Uh, HN looked good, but yeah, like injuries on both sides of the ball leaves them a little bit stuck as we said they're down all their pass rushers they're now down most of their linebackers if i'm honest i thought both teams played shite in this game i went back and i rewatched it again today because i was kind of going well we're playing miami and if we manage to get past miami we might see the wheels at some point and both teams just tried to lose this game i think was it both of buffalo's first two drives or its second and third drive ended up in interceptions miami throwing interceptions it was just it was messy scrappy and it felt like neither side wanted to win this game and then about eight minutes left in the fourth quarter the bills were like ah fuck it we're, we're gonna do it and then just played about six minutes of football and that was enough to get the, the job done it was a nervous game. I think both teams were more afraid of losing than that they were of winning. And ultimately, I mean, we saw in terms of Buffalo, we saw, we saw kind of the, the both sides of Josh Allen early, the interceptions being far too aggressive, you know, end zone interceptions, red zone fumbles, everything seemed to be going badly. And then the, on the defensive side, they were just allowing the run game to run over them. They just didn't seem to have any answer whatsoever, except for maybe keeping Tyreek Hill a little bit quieter. But then whatever happened at halftime, the, the Bills made an awful lot of adjustments on both sides. The defense was perfect in the second half, like locked out, shut down the Dolphins completely in the second half. And I do think they need to give credit for for that. It is one of the big things about the Bills in this al inspired run of the last five games is... The defense, they've, they've had, they had a lot of injuries mid-season in the defense that seemed to completely kill their momentum, and they've managed to figure out how to work around it. That They, they finally figured out, the coaches have figured out how to make this defense work with the pieces that they currently have, which is a very nice thing to have. And we also saw on the offensive side, the other side of Josh Allen, the, the fourth quarter Josh Allen magic bullshit stuff where when the chips are down and you really need him to start doing things, Josh Allen does things. He looks at that time maybe the best quarterback in the NFL when, when, he, when he's on his magic bullshit game. So the Bills, I take it as nerves and the Bills maybe didn't have the right game plan, but they figured things out and they got the win that they, they needed and they deserve to win the division given the run they've been on in the past five weeks. And now I think they're in a really nice spot because they're in a situation where they have a home field advantage if they get the Chiefs in the playoffs. Aside from the Ravens, there's maybe nobody to fear in the AFC completely. So maybe the Bills are nicely set up to go uh, on a run now. I'm worried about the Dolphins. Not necessarily there's the injury problems that they're facing, but also the fact that once again, they fail to beat a good team. And once again, they get completely outcoached to a certain extent. Like they obviously had the right game plan in the first half, then but then the Bills made the adjustments and there were no counter-adjustments. Once the Bills, the defense adjusted to load up the middle to against the run, that was it. The, the Dolphins did not have a, a way around that. All they really have is, you know, Tyreek Hill will do things and he had a decent game, I think about 80 yards or something. But this was the game where you needed someone like Tyreek Hill to have like a superstar game or you needed someone like Tua to have a superstar throwing game and it just, it didn't happen. And I feel that Dolphins have really flattered to deceive this season because they've always looked capable of being this amazing team that's going to beat everyone. But when it comes to the crunch against good teams, they always lose. I, I have to say from a perspective of the Chiefs, I don't think you have anything to fear next week because I don't think this team is going to have the, the answers it needs to, to solve whatever riddles Andy Reid throws at them. But certainly this is a game that Dolphins feel that they threw away and the Bills can feel very happy about grinding away a victory where it looked for a long time that they weren't going to get there. But they got there and they've got number two seed and they can feel very good where they're going 
they just got to find a way to make fourth quarter Josh Allen be the only Josh Allen. Because first quarter Josh Allen, where he throws those interceptions, costs them games. But fourth quarter it seems to individually win them games on their own. They need to harness that because the defense is clicking now. They just need to make sure this offense has some consistency and they'll be a dangerous team in the playoffs. The Bills and Josh Allen are a lot like the protagonists of the Flight of the Concords classic business time. Because when it's with them, you only need seven minutes because it's so intense. <laughs> Every fucking Buffalo game this entire year has been the same bullshit. It's just that for the last month, they've got away with the bullshit. And then for the bit where they were bad, they didn't get away with the bullshit. But it's been the same bullshit. It's just bullshit all the way down. And it's fun bullshit. And, they, and I, I, like we'll talk about in the preview, it's the one year where the rest of the ASC is all up in their own bullshit. So this bullshit might just work. That's a lot of bullshit. But anyway, like this game was just classic Buffalo. Like the first half... They dominated the first half. They were moving the ball up and down the field, it felt like, at will. But then they got to the red zone, and then Allen's like, oh, I hate having the ball. Let's just throw an interception. Let's just do stupid Josh Allen stuff. I'm just going to do some crazy shit rather than just settling for a field goal. And then, you know, they get to the third quarter, there's still one touchdown down. They come into the fourth quarter, they get that punt return, and then the entire vibe of the game felt like it flipped on its head instantaneously. I know that only tied up the game, but at that moment, you kind of felt like, oh, yeah. they're going to get away with the bullshit, basically. And then Allen leads one touchdown drive, which, to be fair, was classic Josh Allen just doing his thing in a nice scramble and stuff like that. And then uh, he had another long drive, which did end in downs, but which led a lot of the clock off off the timer. And, you know, Miami... Chips are down, your chance to have, you know, the number two overall seed and Tua throws an interception. And as you say, the whole thing on Miami on both sides of the pole is just a shadow of where it was. Like the offense earlier this season looked like the best offense of all time, 70-20, etc. But now Tyreek Hill is hurt and maybe that's affecting his drop rate or maybe because he's distracted by his injury. Obviously, they were missing Jalen Waddle in this game. They were missing Raheem Mostert. How healthy will they be going forward? I, I think, you know, there are teams that bit maybe like the Chiefs running the damn ball with Achan and most of it, if he comes back, might be the way that they can steady this ship yeah, again. Why, why, because why the they defense, slowed down on that in the second half is beyond me. Yeah, because they can't leave this defense there. This defense, you know, lost Bradley Chubb, lost Jalen Phillips. They have injuries in the secondary with Zayvon Howard. Like, it's just a shadow of what it could be if it was fully healthy. And they're just going to... I think they need to control the clock. I think they still have in their back pocket if they need to go full explosive, but I think they need to be more conservative in terms of making these games closer for longer and hopefully getting away with it. But right now, that doesn't feel like something they've been good at even when they were good. So, look, Miami, it was great. It's been fun, but injuries and I think maybe being figured out a little bit have left them there whereas Buffalo's bullshit is so bullshit it can never be figured out in the sense that it will never make sense so they have a bit more hope I suppose but yeah Buffalo you know coming from the grave sees the AFC East get a high seeding you know despite the fact that they've been getting away with this shit all year uh, they, they probably have a better chance I feel this year than they have in a long time just because the rest of the field is so much weaker than it would be outside Baltimore yeah next up Houston at Indianapolis 23 to 19 Houston lock up the AFC South after a Jacksonville loss we'll talk about in a minute Minshew 141 yards had a nice pass to Goodson on fourth and one but Goodson dropped the ball and kind of undid all of their all of their hopes for the game Taylor decided oh yeah it's the end of the season I might want to you know pump up my value for fantasy drafts next year so he goes for 196 yards and a touchdown and it was just kind of the driving force of the Indianapolis offense it really wasn't going anywhere Shroud had a couple of good ones 264 yards and two touchdowns he had a lovely play to Collins and stuff like that Collins had 192 yards and a touchdown he was just monster but yeah Houston turned the turned it around got themselves in position it wasn't dominant by any stretch of the imagination that said it was it was basically all Taylor on the other side that was getting it done but this was a good win 
Stride looks to be back to himself. They were able to get great play out of Nico Collins. Hopefully they might get one or two more of their players back coming into the, the playoffs and so on. Like, it's solid. It's what you want to see. It's them kind of going, right, Indianapolis are not to be sniffed at. They didn't have the world's best game here. But, like, you know, they're they're a decent level opponent. Houston gets the job done. they got to feel all right going into the playoffs now that they've got a, a puncher's chance for Indianapolis, look, you knew that there was a limit to this. Like, with Minshew there, you did great. You got a far better season you were expecting out of it. You were just going to get eaten up in the next round anyway. We don't know for certain whether Houston will, on the next one, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in the previews. But for Houston, solid performance from the offense. I'd like to see a little bit more from the defense. Like, the fact that Indianapolis were driving down, only down four at the tail end. In a day where you've only given up 141 passing yards, key in on the fact that they're using Taylor a lot stop that run a little bit better particularly given that it's going to be Cleveland they're going to be playing afterwards but a good win gets them in there a real kind of rags to riches story for the Houston franchise this year and also you know pointing to one of the reasons why possibly one of the GMs got fired because they didn't pick Stroud well thank god he didn't because I even and even Stroud might have struggled in that Carolina mess hole that they've had this year and let's talk about Indianapolis first Respect to Indianapolis, respect to the job that Shane Steichen has done, a team that was really felt like it was long in the tooth, that was on a severe decline, uh, especially last year where everything went wrong with them, it feels like. And he's turned them around and made them into a solid unit, even after losing their, obviously, what we hope will be the superstar quarterback on their side, Anthony Richardson, uh, who will come back next year. The flashes we saw from Richardson earlier this year certainly gives hope for the future. But you end up with Minshew, who's one of the plus backups in the league. But, uh, and you know, they get the job done. And that's despite the fact that Jonathan Taylor missing for most of this year. They made do with Zach Moss and others at the running back position. You know, they fed the ball to Michael Pittman and stuff like that. They have an interesting free agent decision with him all this offseason. But you got to respect the job that Shane Sykin has done. He made them into a winning franchise, has got them going. And with Anthony Richardson put back in here, and as you say, maybe some more resources put back into this defense which is really lacking in star power outside the Forest Buckner there really isn't anyone there that you can hang your hat on this is a team that you feel like the best is ahead of it but you know we respect Indianapolis but we're intrigued by Houston and it's all because of one guy because sometimes a quarterback comes into the league like Patrick Mahomes a few years ago and you go this guy's got it this guy is magic this guy is going to turn this franchise immediately into a relevant factor for hopefully many years to come and it happened instantaneously in this game obviously CJ Stroud last week after coming off his injury Solid game, just took care of business, took away the Tennessee Titans, which could be more than said for some other uh, comparator, uh, comparators in within the division. But this game, first pass, bomb to Nico Collins, touchdown. And the middle of the game, not as exciting, but when the game chips were down and he had to score a final touchdown, there was one pass in particular where he was just like flitting around in the backfield, nearly got sacked two or three times, and then threw a ball off his back foot to Nico Collins. Just that's the kind of plays that make people go, yes, this guy let's do this let's get this guy into the playoffs and this is a free shot really as you say the defense isn't really there yet like you can see that there are lots of future superstars on this defense uh, like you know that could potentially become all pros in future years but it's still a little bit raw and Domingo Ryan is like kind of pulling it all together it's not quite there yet but even given that this is a free shot basically this year and to have a team with this much upside this much fun and this youth and talent and the kind of you know I think D'Amico Ryan's has that kind of energy that kind of aura of someone you want to see succeed then this is a team that you're really excited to see what they're going to do in the future but to give them one shot in the playoffs already just to see what they can do 
I'm excited to see it. And with CJ Stroud back in the saddle, looking like CJ Stroud, even with some of his weapons taken away, I think this is a team we got to keep an eye out as a dark horse going forward. Yeah, I think this game was was an object lesson in why quarterbacks are important in the NFL because this game was won because the Texans had an elite quarterback who could be relied on in crunch moments to make things happen. And consistently, Stroud was the guy, especially down the stretch, who, who was making things happen for the Texans, whereas the Colts just did not have that. I, I mean, I, I love Gardner Minshew as, as a, like a personality, but you can't play this iffily in a huge game. They were just, every time the Colts were in a position to win this game and, and needed the quarterback to do something, they just didn't, right? And some of it was, was, was play calling, not relying on Taylor when they should have, but some of it was just Minshew not making it happen. They were one out of, out of 11 on third downs, zero from one in fourth down. So that's one of 12 in crunch moments that, that just did the offense just did not turn up. And for the Colts, seeing Taylor like this, that they finally figured out how to maximize Taylor within this this offensive system, but only do it in the last game of the season, it kind of feels like this season is the one that got away for the Colts. And next season, they, they got to be thinking, oh, next year could be huge. If we can figure out how to make this Richardson-Taylor combo work, then maybe the Colts can be in a very exciting place. But it just it just wasn't enough what they had on the field this year, simply because in the crunch moments they did not have a quarterback who could who could change the game and it's so important in the NFL to do that meanwhile the Texans are just it, I'm so excited to see them go forward I'm so excited to see how CJ Stroud develops as a player because it's it's amazing that what he's already turning into and we've seen before often rookie years are the are the years when elite quarterbacks have to bed into the system I mean you think about Peyton Manning's rookie year you think about Tom Brady's rookie year none of them were particularly exciting and yet CJ Stroud seems to already be the complete package so I'm just excited to See what happens as he develops forward what worries me a little bit about the texans is the defense i mean they came into this game with the, with the third best defense against the run in the entire league and they got absolutely ripped apart here by jonathan taylor and, and and the colts and so you're being to worry is maybe this is a weakness that the browns might be able to exploit in the postseason obviously it's less of a problem with, without chubb but the browns still do have the interesting pieces in the run game that can hurt them and now there may be a blueprint out there for how to deal with them they also have weaknesses on the secondary that not exposed here but you'd worry about them going forward we can talk about this in the previews but the browns did kind of do a number on the texans when they played them a few weeks ago and i don't necessarily see the texans have solved any of those problems on the defensive side and indeed it seemed to have found new problems to occupy them so there may need to be a lot of magic cj stroud bullshit in the playoffs if these guys are going to go any way deep because even though this is an exciting team this is still a young and very much a flawed team that is still learning its way forward you know you can rely on nico collins suddenly turning up and being the guy but ultimately this game is going to as much as stroud and collins can do on the offense this defense is going to have to do a lot more in the playoffs if the team wants to go deep i i don't think they're quite there yet i think they're going to be a fun team to watch but i suspect they might be one and done one one concern i'd have on the indianapolis side and i know look it's been a great season your coach has done really well how in this spot with the season on the line on fourth and one you go for a pass play where your passing game hasn't been fantastically well to your like fourth or fifth string running back versus Jonathan Taylor's got nearly 200 yards. We need one yard. Maybe maybe we go with yeah, that. Like, 
like he was wide open. Like I'm pretty sure the other guys would have been pretty wide open. You know. Next up, Jacksonville, Tennessee, twenty to twenty-eight. Jacksonville failed to reach the playoffs as Tennessee kind of have a you know last day of high school graduation party. King Henry, who's going to be leaving them this off season, although there is some chat about him possibly returning. You know, he, he was speaking on the on the jumbotron afterwards, saying he hopes he inspired the kids of the area and like he, he sounds like he's gone from there. One hundred and fifty-three yards and a touchdown. Back to the kind of classic stuff. Dice is all over this Jacksonville defense. Uh, as we mentioned, they've moved some staff around there following this. Tannehill and Vrabel, obviously, kind of, well, Vrabel's gone. Tannehill probably gone after this year. It was just kind of a, it was, it was a big romper for, for Tennessee. Uh, on the Jacksonville side, Lawrence, who's obviously carrying about 12 different injury designations going into this one. 280 yards, two touchdowns, but two interceptions. The inter, uh, the inaccuracy was happening. I was texting with a friend of the show, Shane, during this matchup, and I just couldn't get over how bad Calvin Ridley was in this game. He had one particularly big egregious drop but he had like three or four other ones or like missed routes or routes that he gave up on before they were finished like it was just it was really really bad looking for him if I'm honest they also had a fake a failed goal line sneak as well and that just kind of let Tennessee close them out but yeah for Jacksonville it was the season that started with so much promise they were flying very high we saw them down in London they kind of went on a three or four game win streak after that and it was very good but then it just started to chip away they weren't quite as crisp and then as soon as the injury started to hit Lawrence he played through them for a bit and he wasn't quite the same and then he had to go out for a week or two and honestly they played quite well when he was out I just think Lawrence was in here because they thought it would give him the best position to win but the inaccuracies and stuff like I, I don't want to say it's it's uncharacteristic because he has had interceptions in his in, in his game previously but I'd wonder how much of this was injury impacting some of his some of his throws and some of his touch on some of them so a big win to close out the season for Tennessee and and to close out the careers of a couple of players there for Jacksonville just you know collapsing they had it in their hands and they just let it slip away against a Tennessee team that frankly just hasn't been that good and weren't exactly providing a, a diverse array of threats here it was keying on the run and stop Henry yeah Jacksonville just couldn't get it done and to be honest I think the playoffs are probably for the better I think when we think about the Jags this season and obviously the collapse down the stretch, the, the doing the exact opposite of what they did last season, people are going to focus in on Lawrence's injury and be like, well, once he got injured, thing, they kind of lost the momentum and things fell apart. I think if the Jags want to be serious about making the most of Lawrence's talent and doing things next year, they need to focus on literally everything else because Lawrence's kind of his, his ups and downs, his, his kind of tribulations uh, of recent weeks, I think are hiding the fact that underneath this, the Jags are not a great team in a number of ways. The O-line is terrible. And I think in those situations where if they don't significantly improve the O-line in the offseason, it's going to be one of those, you know, Trevor Lawrence has to play in front of these guys every week. He's going to get multiple injuries if he has to keep playing in front of these guys. They do not seem to be up to the standard that's required. I think it's about time that we maybe start to think about the level of investment they put into their receiving core is not paying off. These guys are not living up to the level that is required. It's always been a bit brittle where they kind of all had to be in place and everyone seems to be on their game for it to work. But as soon as one guy gets injured or one guy's off his game, the the entire passing game seems to disintegrate largely because the receiver's just not doing it. The bigger issue issue maybe is the defense because it's starting to feel like this def- this defense is just a bad defense right that they're just they've got a couple of good pieces josh allen etc but there's no coherence to what they're doing and parts of it are actively bad such as the secondary which feels now to be a complete liability it wasn't a big problem in this game because the titans don't have a passing game here they allow themselves to be 
dominated running game, even though they tend to statistically have had a quite a good run game this year. So the inconsistency on the defense, we've talked about before about their lack of aggressiveness in key moments. Like it just feels collectively in terms of coaching and in terms of personnel, the defense is just, it's not a playoff caliber defense and it's certainly not a championship contending caliber defense. Whereas the offense, I think Lawrence, get them healthy, protect them better, give him better people to throw to, and I think he could be elite. I just don't think he's had the opportunity. And I think what this the collapse has demonstrated is that the Jacksonville revolution, evolution under Peterson, I think they just got ahead of themselves last year. They got into a nice bit of run. They stole a playoff game. Everyone's feeling like everything's magical, and they had a good start to the season. I think the underlying, they kind of regrets the mean, the underlying factors are not good enough for where the Jags want to be, and they need they have a lot of work to do in terms of personnel in the offseason. For Tennessee, it's hard to judge anything because it's, it's huge changes coming next year. Henry gone, Tannehill gone, Vrabel gone. A lot of things need to be changed. I, I don't think we can really talk about what this Titans team is now because it's going to be completely different team uh, come September. Nice to see the defense stepping up two big interceptions. They definitely had a stronger side of that, but there's not much to say. The real lesson here is the Jags. They they blew it. They ultimately blew it, and I think it's unfair to focus on Lawrence's failings because I think the problems are much more systemic than that. This game was pretty simple, I think, overall. Like, Tennessee did the old Tennessee thing. They bullied the other team with King Henry and pour one out for the King. Like he, he really showed up for one final time to give the fans a say. And I think grammatically you might want to bring up, but this feels like a guy, put him on a good roster, put him on a Dallas or a Detroit or a San Francisco or a Chiefs or whatever. Someone good next year. Give him a chance to get that ring because this guy deserves it after all he's done. I think he could still be a major factor for a team, especially after a year, which has all been about offense has been slowed down. The explosives going away. Games becoming close and tight and you want to grind that shit down. But yeah, this is old school Tennessee. Not pretty, but it got the job done. And on Jacksonville, you had a team that's kind of just reached the end of the road. Like I think Lawrence, he reminds me a lot of like when Baker Mayfield is hurt. Like he's so reliant on his talent. When he's fully healthy, his ability to throw those kind of epic balls those kind of rope balls at will it feels like is amazing but it seems to get him out of a whole bunch of his errors his mistakes he's not the most accurate because his fundamentals aren't great he feels like a guy like josh allen who needs to just go to quarterback school and for, for his footwork he doesn't have the elite anticipation that you really need to be if you want to be at the top top tier of quarterbacks in the league there's too many times he's a step or too late and it doesn't feel like he's quite reading what was happening before it happens and that's what the great quarterbacks do and when you have that just those knocks and that injury and the mechanics get even a little bit worse and he isn't able to rely on the talent and get that kind of power that he's used to getting then you start seeing the inaccuracy the ball starts sailing high the balls start going inaccurate in this game he tried to play hero ball like you know he had that upper they had that uh, two plays on the goal line fourth and short he went for it himself he made it i think he made an audible himself to go for the sneak and it didn't work out and it was like inches away like that's the the level that we're talking about here inches away but you know it felt appropriate for where this team is it's not a team i was particularly excited to see in the playoffs so i'm relatively happy to see them be eliminated and then you know similarly late on you see ridley you know just inches away from being a huge td catch for ridley that would have even this game up or at least made it a two-point game those were the those were the margins but it kind of feels like the, the issues that Sean talks about this team are, are a bit more systemic and they, they're not as good as they think they are. I think that's the big thing I take from Jacksonville. Mm. And I think a humbling this offseason and like a humbling for Lawrence, a humbling for this team, for this management team, a humbling in terms of what they're doing in the defense might make sense because I think they do have the they do have the pieces there and the talent there that they could be a great team. But, you know, they need to sort their shit out first. Captured it perfectly there. They're, they're not as good as they think they are. That's exactly what the Jags problem is. 
Next, next up, Chicago at Green Bay, 9-17. to Green Bay lock up the seventh spot in the NFC playoffs as they absolutely stomp all over division rival Love. They're looking much improved the last couple of weeks. 316 yards and two touchdowns and kind of dices up what we've been talking about as being a much improved Chicago defense. Jones is 141 yards. Reed was over 100 as well and they kind of helped lead the way. We mentioned Dubs kind of got knocked out early in this game with a chest injury. Uh, on the other side, Fields, who's trying to kind of play himself uh, into the job for next year, even though the guys have the number one overall pick, uh, had a bit of a struggle, only 175 yards. He took five sacks in this game as Green Bay's defense really started to pour down a little bit later they had 10 tackles for a loss as well this was a big rallying one for green bay i think there's been a lot of hemming and hawing about uh, were they just beating tomato cans or are they to be considered at all and is love good or will they have to find someone new and i think they can relatively safely say they're happy with love now at this point that was a decent season although he had a good couple of interceptions as well within it but you know they get their playoff berth they're free from the Aaron Rodgers stuff they're finding something in some of these young wide receivers they have the run game maybe showed up a little bit here with Jones maybe they need to look at investing there a little bit but overall they're doing pretty well their line is is not phenomenal so I'd see what happens when they come up against some kind of tougher ones but Love has really kind of obviously worked a lot in his fundamentals he's much quicker in his decision making than he was earlier in the season it's been quite an impressive turnaround throughout the season for them for the Chicago side their defense is set up for success now it's been playing really well it didn't do the best job here but it still held them to 17 points the problem is the offense was kind of collapsing so unfortunately that probably means as you mentioned Fitz that I'd say the Bears are sliding more towards picking up a quarterback and trading Justin Fields and we'll see what that looks like and if that is what's going to happen here but I, I I just think Chicago they had a couple of really nice bright spots the last couple of weeks and Fields himself has had a couple of really good games but this was a big one this could have been the, the you know the, the feather in the cap to say look we ended our divisional rivals playoff hopes did it down in Green Bay which I think Chicago have a terrible record of late in, in Green Bay but Chicago haven't been fantastic for a while and yeah it's just it just didn't come together for them at all the Green Bay scheming worked for them pretty well and I am actually kind of intrigued to see what Green Bay look like in the playoffs against a, a, a bigger team. It's good for them to get there. It means you know it's working solidly for the for the organization, for the staff, and everything. But they feel like a seventh seed. I think this will end up being a bigger game for the Chicago organization than Green Bay, even though obviously Green Bay have just made the playoffs with basically one of the youngest offenses in league history. But for Chicago, this felt like the sliding doors moment. It feels like you know Detroit last year. They beat Green Bay, kept them out of the playoffs, and that was kind of the bouncing pad they got to where they are this year. Instead, Chicago, they have that opportunity to talk about to kind of, you know, hit a nail into the old-time rival, the one who's owned their building for so many years and couldn't get it done. And we're bullied. Like, the, the score flatters Chicago significantly. The Green Bay outgained them 2-1, to one, uh, over 2-1 to one in this game. Green Bay seemed like they could have scored way more points if they'd wanted to in this point at any point. And their defense just gobbled up Justin Fields, who has had a solid end of the season against some lesser defenses. But Joe Barry's defense is hardly one that people fear. He's had many bad scenarios. And uh, he he's had some good games recently against the uh, Chicago and Minnesota, but uh, that might give you the indication that maybe Justin Fields is closer to Nick Mullins than he is to the, the great quarterbacks. And he does feel like someone who might just be falling into the Dalton zone crack of just being, you know, he's not bad, but he's not the solution. And just kind of he'll be getting starting quarterback positions for a couple of years, but he'll never make the leap required to, to be a you know a franchise quarterback properly. And this game just feels like yeah, Chicago like all that goodwill that can be built up. 
kind of dissipates and everything's going to change here and Eberflus is going to be on a very short lease I feel like next year with a new DC and a new OC and a new quarterback almost certainly it sucks because I think Justin Fields he's obviously a guy who has played hard for, for Chicago the fans like him everyone likes him but maybe he just doesn't have it as it were on the other hand when the rest of the NFC North is looking at Green Bay I don't quite think it's right there just yet but I think there is a little bit of sense in the back of the mind it's like that the, the, they just can't keep getting away with this bullshit type stuff because love down the stretch has really taken that next step up where you go maybe this guy is it maybe this guy can be a franchise quarterback maybe this guy can take them to the promised land and i think he is helped by being the little floor offense which is like being good uh pretty much throughout his entire tenure and he, he you know this year like it's obviously was the worst rogers year but he has outplayed what aaron Rodgers put on tape last year he has been better than Aaron Rodgers was in his worst year, his final year in Green Bay. And I think he's got better as you go. And you're obviously talking about an offense that's incredibly young. You know, like Christian Watson, who wasn't playing this game, is the experienced receiver as, an, as, as a second-year player. You know, this is rookies, 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 second-year players all the way through. Love is kind of a weird situation because he's obviously a fourth-year player. He's only playing for his first time this year. They have him on a fairly cheap contract next year. And it kind of feels like Green Bay, you know, I'm not sure the defense is going to step up to this level in the playoffs. But, you know, they're a solid, well-coached team with a quarterback who's not a dickhead and who is ascending it feels like and who is figuring things out as they go along and so I don't know if it's going to be this year but I think similar to Houston they got a free shot in the playoffs and if they could knock off a team like Dallas in the wildcard round suddenly the vibes around this team are going to be very positive I I, never, I don't think Justin uh, Jordan Love's ever going to become Aaron Rodgers but a kind of a, a playmaker type guy like Brett Favre was back in the day I see enough of that in his DNA. I see enough of that in the way he played in these games down the stretch that he could become that kind of gunslinger. It's not going to be as consistent as Aaron Rodgers. You know, I, I don't know if it, it's going to win you too many Super Bowls, but it can make you at least a factor in, in the future. When I was researching for this game, uh, I saw a stat that I actually had to look up because I did not believe it when I saw it in the article I was reading. Jordan Love was second in touchdowns this year, like behind Dak Prescott. He's, he threw 32 touchdowns, which is just... I mean, incredible given, uh, at least at the start of the season, I had, I had no time for him. I didn't think he was NFL caliber. He really has, over the course of this year, improved remarkably. And in this game, you could kind of see how it all comes together with them. What, what I liked about the, the Green Bay performance in this game was everybody stepped up. It wasn't just love. There's a defense played above themselves. The receivers played above themselves. I really think that Romeo Dobbs plays an, has a very nice role as kind of a red zone safety valve kind of thing for him. They really showed that they could deal with playoff level pressure. Now, albeit the Bears aren't a playoff caliber team, but this was a, a winner go home scenario for the Packers. And they, a bunch of young kids, they could easily have been blinded by the lights and had a bad defeat. But I think LaFleur's experience as a playoff, uh, in the playoffs and stuff is really going to help this team because he definitely has instilled the, the kind of the, the grinded out mentality. And you combine that with, the talent that they have in terms of the young players and also people like Aaron Jones who started to feel like he's easing back into his form he had before the injury. I think this was his third straight 100-yard game. And it's starting to feel like this team is coming together. Now, admittedly, as you say, they've they got a really tough playoff wildcard game, so they, they may be one and done this year. But certainly, green shoots, they're looking like they've already turned this team. post rogers era was looking going to be like it was going to be pretty dark for the Packers, but it feels like they've, they've already turned the corner and it's going to start to look optimistic about next year and I'm kind of maybe excited about how like the Packers Lions becoming maybe a rivalry down the next few years which could be quite exciting I mean even the even um, Joe Barry you know obviously not the answer at, at DC but really good outing for the defense here Justin Fields uncomfortable all 
all night, which is not something you see all the time. So definitely a lot, a lot of a lot of tick marks for the the Packers, and not necessarily excited to see them in the playoff, but excited to see where this team goes next year and can they build on this and can Jordan Love demonstrate another season of consistency in terms of that. For the Bears, I, I I'm really wondering about this Everflus thing because. With this big draft coming up, they've got two top 10 picks. It kind of feels like this is like a once in a decade, maybe once in a generation opportunity to build a really good team, to like really build a championship team that can go forward. And I don't think Eberflus is the guy who should be building that team. He's not the guy who should be pushing that team forward and coaching them uh, straight up. It's good that they got rid of Luke Getze, but I think they may need to, to consider wider changes therein because they definitely have the talent with the pieces that are coming in and people like Jalen Johnson on defense. There's, there's certainly a core of a team that you can build around here, but it doesn't feel like Iberflus is making the most of the pieces that he's got at all. So... The Bears, it, it's so, it, it must be so frustrating to be someone, to be a team like Chicago Bears, Minnesota Vikings, or maybe even Detroit Lions, is that, you know, year after year, you're struggling, you're building teams, you might get one good team every five or six years, but you're constantly having to, to fight, you know, for every win that you get. And the Packers, they lose their franchise quarterback, and within a year, it feels like they're right back from where they started. It's It must be so frustrating to have an organization in your division that seems to be able to turn around things that quickly. A lot of green shoots, a lot of interesting things going forward, but the Bears, I feel this is a really important offseason for where this team is going to be for the next decade or so. As we say, look, all games are important, just some are less important, and uh, Fitz loves those, so we're going to hand them over to Fitz in the dump-off. Yes, one final dump-off for the road, and we'll start with the games that mattered. Pittsburgh at Baltimore, 70-10 to win for Pittsburgh as they beat up the Baltimore Ravens, well done. Well, it was a Baltimore Ravens backup, so maybe less impressive. But this win after the Jacksonville loss also got them into the show. And it was a grinding game in very wet conditions. The camera barely could be visible at a point during this game. They did it the old-fashioned Steelers way. Najee Harris grinding them down with the run game. 112 yards and a touchdown. And Rudolph, who had a pretty poor game, I would say, overall, got the big uh, yards after the catch in cut uh, touchdown for Deontay Johnson. That was key at the start of the fourth quarter. And they just managed to stay one step ahead for the Baltimore for the entire game. On the other hand, Baltimore, it was backups. Huntley, fine. Most of his production was in garbage time, to be honest. 160 yards of touchdown. They had, like, one touchdown drive, which was mostly Gus Edwards. But other than that, they kept fumbling the ball away. And Pittsburgh, they obviously were playing for more, and they showed in the end. Next up, Tampa Bay, Carolina, 9-0. Tampa Bay win the NFC South, and thankfully only one NFC South team in the playoffs. But it was pretty grim, because Baker was ailing in this game. He came in with a chest injury, he picked up an ankle injury, and he was just hobbling on and off the field all game. 137 yards, and alongside Rashad White, it was nearly 100 yards. It was enough to grind out three field goals, which happened to be enough, because, oh, it's Carolina, oh, another horrible day for Bryce Young. You know, getting hit a lot, just struggling to make any passes, and even the good plays inevitably chalked off. There was a big yard after the catch touchdown for Chark. That fair play to Anton Winfield. He kicked the ball out at the last moment. It goes for the back for the touchback. TD off the board. Another touchdown later on. Call back for an illegal formation. Back call because the receiver was off the line. Ugh, just very Carolina. Very Carolina. And after that formation call, next play, strip sack. Oh my god. And they missed the field goal for good measure in towards the end of this game. Just classic Carolina. They could have easily won this game, but they didn't, and Tampa Bay get into the dance. Dallas at Washington, 38-10. Dallas get the, the number two seed and win the NFC East quite easily. Their, their destiny was their own hands here. Dak, four touchdowns, nearly 300 yards. Lamb and him just were right at it. 
from the second quarter onwards after a fairly squeaker of a first quarter, 98 yards and two touchdowns for Lamb, and even ran the ball okay, which against this Washington interior defensive line is at least some signs of life for something which they I think they definitely need to get going if they're going to make an impact in the playoffs. Their defense just suffocated Howell after the first quarter, three turnovers, four sacks, five tackles for a last, the Howell era, uh, if you can call it that, ends in ignominy as expected, and with the number two overall pick, it feels like that's already over, but I think he will be a plus backup, so at least that's something. But new day for Washington, Dallas. A lot of pressure on McCarthy to deliver the ring. Minnesota at Detroit, 20 to 30. Detroit, you know, played their starters here despite likely not having anything to play for. They needed like Dallas and Philly to lose to get the number two seed. But they were taking out some stuff after that uh, bullshit as we talked about last week against Dallas. 320 yards and two touchdowns for Goff. Amon Ra absolutely dominating this Minnesota defense, which I think has been figured out after, you know, having some impressive displays despite the lack of talent from Flores. We'll see where they are next year. As for Minnesota, well, they're playing Nick Mullins, so you get two touchdowns and two interceptions and 400 yards. It's just, uh, that's just Nick Mullins football, I suppose, just up and down. Uh, Jefferson went for nearly 200 yards and somehow managed to get to 1,000 yards on the season despite missing most of the season. He's good. But will it be good with staying in Minnesota? We'll keep an eye on that. The decision by Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson and stuff like that feels like some important days for Minnesota in the days ahead. Next up, Philly at the Giants, 10 to 27 uh, in favor of the Giants. Just to be clear, Philly's collapse late season reaches its low point. Tyrod and Saquon absolutely bum rushed them in the first half here. 335 yards of touchdowns for Tyrod, nearly 100 yards of two touchdowns for Saquon, possibly for his final game in his final game. 24 up by the half and then just like salted it out. Sirianni had waved the white flag by the time, even before the first half was over, but not before, you know, the Giants defense were just having its way with the Philly offense that hurt both Hurts and Brown, although thankfully it seems like both of them will be able to play in the playoffs. But yeah, pretty embarrassing end for Philly. I just don't see any hope for them. Rams at the 49ers. Turned out to actually be important because it's a good Rams to 6th seed, which means we get the revenge Stafford Goff matchup, otherwise it would have been the number 7 seed. But yeah, back up bowl, Wentz versus Darnold. Wentz somehow was clutch, albeit against backups in basically preseason form. But yeah, 720 at the halftime deficit, but they, he comes back, scores 3 touchdowns, uh, and does a solid job. And Nakua gets all the rookie records, uh, both the receiving yards and receiving catches, thanks to basically some cooking in the numbers. Uh, so nice for him, definitely deserves it, Nakua, seems like a cool dude. Darnold starts hot, but basically trails off by the end, and the fumble on the final drive killed the game. But I think San Francisco's backups are probably still a bit better, but maybe the third string isn't as good as the Rams' second string. Seattle at Arizona, 21-20. One final late win for Carroll. Obviously, we didn't know that at the time uh, that he was going to leave. They were already eliminated by the Green Bay pretty early in this game. They were well up. A nice win. Gino had like a nice clutch touchdown drive. I think he's had the record number of fourth quarter like winning drives uh, in NFL history. And he gets a two-pointer to, to kind of get the win in this case. Bit of help from two missed Prater field goals on both sides of that touchdown drive. But, you know, I think Gino, he's definitely a starter in the league. Or at the very least, a very, very high-end backup. Expect to see him playing football in 2024. Kyler, solid. Nearly 300 yards of touchdown. Probably helped by the fact that Connor was running all over Seattle, 150 yards of touchdown. He's really the driver of this offense and the end back end. So there's definitely some optimism around this team going into next year. But I still feel Kyler just not consistent enough to be a franchise quarterback. But we'll see. With a full offseason, let's see if he takes the next step. Atlanta, New Orleans, 17-48. New Orleans get the win. Didn't really matter because Tampa Bay got their win. And Green Bay got their win, so they were eliminated after that. But Carr, you know, dices up the rivals for the fans. Uh, 2-6-4 and four touchdowns. Uh, Atlanta's defense do very little. Uh, appropriate way for the Atlanta era to end for Arthur Smith. Ritter, up and down, disappointed, threw an interception uh, in this game. He threw a wide open Bijan that was kind of simultaneously, could have been a touchdown, a pick six, 
and a drop. It turned out to be a drop. At the same time, just felt like emblematic of their entire goddamn season. But he did give the ball to Bijan here, 131 for the touchdown. Uh, probably the most notable thing was that at the very end of this game, after a Honey Badger touchdown went all the way down to the goal line, the Saints were in victory formation, and they went for the touchdown because Jameis Winston is one funny bastard, and they wanted to get a little score for Williams. Uh, who had not scored a touchdown all year after being the, the touchdown leader last year. Yeah, Arthur Smith was annoyed about that, but who cares about him? He's fired now. But uh, maybe some disrespect there for Dennis Allen. You know, like, is he really in control of this team? Denver at Vegas, 14-27. I think, as we all expected, Vegas were playing harder because they want to get Antonio Pierce's job. And they bullied Denver for most of this game. Connell had two touchdowns, nearly 250 yards. Showed some sparks, but they definitely need something better at quarterback next year. And White, Zemir White, ran the ball well. They can run the ball well with White or, or Jacobs or whoever they have next year. Stidham very middling 272 to a touchdown interception didn't really do much against this Vegas defense which had five sacks they tackled for a loss you know I have no idea what the Peyton Denver Broncos going to be in the post-Russ era if this is what it's going to be I'm not looking forward to it but I imagine some big changes coming for Denver even more so again this offseason Kansas City at the Chargers 13 to 12 Kansas City edges as they got a 96-5 fumble return touchdown early on this game and that ended up being the difference Gabbard versus Stick about as exciting as you could expect which is to say not very uh, Kansas City's offense got those two field goals, but basically did nothing else. And Chargers were moving the ball better, but they only had to settle for, like, for four field goals. Uh, the only highlight here was when Chris Jones finally got a sack to get his million dollar bonus. And him and the fans were like, woo, let's go, million dollars. Fair play. Cleveland at Cincinnati, 14-31. Uh, Cincinnati's uh, remaining starters, obviously they, they aren't playing full strike after all their injuries, played by Cleveland's actual backups because they had the wildcard secured. Browning put up some solid tape for a potential starter or a plus backup role next year. 150 yards, touchdown interception. Don Mixon was the driving point here, 170 yards and touchdown. Driscoll is like the fifth quarterback Cleveland to play this year and it showed because he was terrible. He buffed up his garbage time stats by getting two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, but he was terrible, but he's never going to play, so it's fine. And finally... Oh, the end of the, the Bill Belichick era ends in grim fashion. It was a snow game, but even a snow game couldn't make this game fun because the Jets were just like, give the ball to Brees Hall, give the ball to Brees Hall. And they ground them down eventually, got the touchdown that, that killed off this game at the very end. Uh, but apparently the Jets even screwed that up because they miscounted the stats so he didn't even get the incentive that he was chasing all game, which is why they're giving him so many touches. Jets. Uh, as for the Patriots, nothing. Nothing. The snow might as well just cover the screen and it would have been as informative about the scene. Zappy, two interceptions, less than 100 yards. The Jets defense and the conditions just meant nothing. And that's a sad way for the end, but it is the way that it ends. And, you know, speaking of sad, it's the end of the dump off for, for 2023 and uh, 2024. I'll talk to you next season when we get to talk about some terrible games once again. Okay, so we're into Super Wildcard Weekend. I'm never going to. I'm never going to. No, Wildcard Weekend. Yeah, it's just Wildcard Weekend. I don't know why they think that's good branding, but yeah. Saturday night games, Cleveland at Houston. Myself and Sean have gone for Cleveland. Ronan is riding the lightning, living the dream. He's going for Houston on this. Stroud and proud. Stroud and proud. <laughs> Stroud is coming up against a pretty top-tier defense here in Cleveland. So, obviously, the question is, can the rookie hold up against, you know, Garrett bringing the pressure and, and frankly surprisingly good defensive backfield that's here. They'll be looking for Singletary to step up and get the run game going. They're hoping to have a few more passing options back from injury at that point. Uh, on the other side of the ball in Cleveland, we've got you know elite dragon Joe Flacco hitting his playoff run against his Houston defense. It has had a couple of decent games, but as we mentioned in the reviews there, weren't really up to snuff uh, this week. And when they played a couple of weeks back, he was able to kind of eat through it. So we'll see if they're able 
able to make the kind of adjustments that they they want to. They are at home, which is going to help them a little bit. But you know, this is essentially a veteran with limited mobility trying to pick apart a defense that's been a little bit on the ropes, and he succeeded the last time. And maybe you know, it's a question of. The, the experience of Flacco, will he be able to know what he's seen from them, see their adjustments and, and, and kind of adjust to those? Or is it that the youth of the, the players on Houston will be able to, you know, move quicker, adjust faster than the old man can? So this is really kind of time versus experience, I suppose. And yeah, I, 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 I'm intrigued by this one. I'm actually looking forward to, to sitting down and watching it because I think this could be a very exciting game. I think it could be quite tactical, quite kind of, you know, second guessing, third guessing what the other side is going to do. Houston will want to get that run game established, I think, and then start feeding off play action to try and distract a little bit from the pass rush maybe. But I'm, I'm still slightly flummoxed by the fact that we're talking about a Cleveland-Houston playoff game and I'm excited to watch it, to be honest. Like, I just feel not true to my NFL fan them but i'm really excited for this game it's going to be a fun game and i i i do understand ronan's desire to you know believe in strap and i think you know the, the kid is capable of anything and certainly if it's a close game you know the last three minutes you'd rather the ball be in cj strat's hands than even joe flacco to be honest but i i just look back it's two weeks ago browns against texans and joe flacco like 368 yards and Amari Cooper got over 200 yards and you know it's it's a weak secondary that the Texans have and we saw as well that they their run game can be exploited as well this week as much as it's young and improving and they're they're working their ass off I just feel that this Texans defense is not quite playoff caliber and I fear that the Cleveland defense is going to be able to hold down the score on the other side. They're going to be able to be a nice back and forth with Stroud, but I think they'll be able to to keep him in check. I just don't trust this Texans defense to be able to stop Joe Flacco, to be honest with you, which is, again, a very weird sentence to be saying in the year 2024. I fear that under the lights, this Texans defense is going to come up short. Yeah, this is a win-win game. I think both teams' offenses are much better than you expect, possibly because neither of them have Deshaun Watson at quarterback. <laughs> and uh, if he's at the stadium, I wonder how many cutbacks we're getting. It'd be like you know, Taylor Swift levels of cutbacks to him if he, he's anywhere present. At the I don't expect him to be, but we'll see. Can't so, even call it the Deshaun Watson revenge game. It's like the Deshaun Watson sadness game or something. Uh, yeah. A specter haunts this game, and that <laughs> specter's name is Deshaun Watson. Like, But like, it doesn't really matter because both these teams are basically all about the future. Obviously, Houston, CJ Stroud playing amazing football. You saw, you know, I was worried coming off the injury he wasn't quite himself against Tennessee, but you saw the CJ Stroud show in week 18 and you go, when you saw that in the middle of the season, you go, this guy, this guy, as I said, has got it and this guy can, by himself potentially, pull this entire team through many, many big games going forward and of course famously no rookie quarterback has won the Super Bowl and it doesn't feel like this is the the right scenario for that to happen, but I'm saying there's a chance, you know, like I'm saying there's a chance because, you know, this offense with him at the at the at the control panel just works well and is able to break down even good deep. The Cleveland defense is at least it's got Miles Garrett, it's got GOK, it's got Denzel Ward. So it'll be a really tough test, but it'll be there. As for the other side, hey, look, it's, it's old man Joe Flacco going I don't give a fuck. And, it, like, and I think one thing that's been underestimated is that he has been throwing a fair amount of interceptions down the stretch as well. He's been scoring a lot more touchdowns, which on balance means it's worked out, but he isn't afraid of throwing it up there and giving his guys a chance. And hopefully Amari Cooper is back in this game. Uh, it's somewhat questionable, but I think it's more likely than not. Um, hopefully they have the full complement of weapons. Uh, you'd love to, in a world, to have Nick Chubb here, but it's not Deshaun Watson, so we can enjoy it and enjoy try to take on this really good defense, a really big challenge, see if he can take that next step and get us truly excited 
if he somehow gets through the next round. And then Joe Flacco coming back out of the cold, doing his thing, slinging the ball, giving us old style quarterbacking, throwing the ball up there, letting his guys do it, and seeing if he can exploit a young but ascending defense. And yeah, no to Sean Watson. I love it. Win win. Let's move on. Excellent. Uh, our next Saturday game, Miami at Kansas City. We've gone for Kansas City across the board, although I'm hemming and hawing a little bit. This is starting to bring back some worrying memories of the before times in Kansas City. This is going to be the coldest game this weekend, and if forecasts believe this could be right up there with coldest games ever, I think. At the moment, the weather forecast for Saturday in Kansas City is highs of minus 14 degrees Celsius, lows of minus 19. The wind factor that is due to take it to a feel of minus 34 degrees Celsius. <laughs> Holy fuck. Like, so Miami will, you know, hope to have Waddle and Mostert back for this game. Hill should hopefully be back, although I believe there's some report of him having an additional injury at the moment, which is not great for them. You know, this would be the, the big storyline. This one is Hill coming back to Kansas City. So they played obviously in Germany, but this is him coming, you know, to Arrowhead again and to see what this Kansas City defense can do. Will Spags be able to get to Tua and cause a problem with the timing rights? Will the corners be able to keep up with the likes of Hill? But I think the big thing for me is in that kind of weather, it's going to be which one of these teams is going to be able to run the ball more effectively. Pacheco's been run playing. the damn ball, run yeah. it. <laughs> Pacheco's, <laughs> Pacheco's been playing well for the Chiefs of late, and in, in the in the last game where they played starters, they did lean on him heavily and let him run the ball a lot. So I'm hoping we're going to see more of that, particularly with you know in that kind of weather. I wouldn't even really be able to blame the wide receivers for their drops because they won't be able to feel their arms. This this is an interesting one. My concern in this one is obviously Miami have a very dynamic running back duo in A-Chain and Mosert there and that could cause some issues but on the positive side you know the Chiefs have a very good linebacker core whereas for the Dolphins defense and this is why I'm just about shading it to Kansas City but I'm still not massively comfortable with it is they are down a lot of their pass rushers which will help with a bit of time they're down a load of linebackers which is going to help with the run game my concern massively that we don't have much depth in that running game at the moment I'm hoping that some of the injuries have lessened if we could have Jet back for this so we have a bit more of a passing option out of the back that'd be nice but I think this is going to come down to two run games and I'm intrigued to see, because if Miami have gone in with that plan, that's a concern for me, because they're a very good offense where they can stick to their plan. If they've come in planning to pass, I'm hoping <laughs> I'm hoping that's what happens, because the weather might be against that. But yeah, both teams are going to look to run the ball. I'm hoping that the Chiefs defense will slow down Miami enough, whereas Miami's ailing defense will allow the Chiefs to get a little bit of something going. So I'm going to I'm gonna shade Kansas City in this one. But in this weather, with this matchup, and this form of the Kansas City offense, it could go either way. This is an old school football, ice bowl too, you know, and you got to play old school football to win there. You hopefully get the, the you want to get like an old 50s commentator in then, you know, you can't hear, you know, chomping cigars and talking shit and being sexist, I assume, and talking about real men doing real things. And yeah, it's just like, i just imagining, you know, the strategy meetings, Kansas City, and then, you know, run the ball. And it's like Andy Reid, it's like, the, the, the offensive co- coordinator and everyone else is like, here comes the running game. And like an indolent toddler, he's like, no, I don't want to take the running game. Please don't make me run the ball. It's like, no, Andy, you've got to do it. It's the only thing that makes sense. Look, Pacheco, week 17, it worked. Just do it. You got Pacheco. He's an old school running back. He grinds them down. He's the only form of actual explosive plays you basically have all this year because the explosive plays do not exist. The deep balls don't go anywhere because MVS doesn't have hands maybe as you say it's an advantage because it's so cold you know 
receivers who never know where their hands are maybe are better than ones who sometimes know where their hands are because they'll be in the same situation in this you only weather. adopted the darkness <laughs> i was born in it folded yeah. by but it. like deep shots to mvs go nowhere and then all of the yak has just disappeared like you know you know obviously kelsey isn't the same guy rashi rice is doing his best but he's only a rookie and these other guys you know they drop the ball or they just get tackled immediately like just run the damn ball control this game and force miami who are obviously much more used to much nicer conditions you know we've all seen ballers it's a much nicer city uh, miami for a bit of partying and make them do the job now he'll probably find because he's obviously used to kansas city but is Tua gonna live up to that is waddle if he's like waddle's come off an injury is he gonna be able to do that you know it's their run game of mustard and 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 a chain gonna be at full strength in these type of conditions and just make this a grind grind them down old school football get it done on the other side like you know that's probably what miami should do as well you know they as i said their defense can't stop much at the moment and their offense the explosive element is like hill is obviously not healthy waddle is not going to be healthy if those two guys aren't playing at, at their at their proper level you're not going to be the same offense you were in week one you need to adjust and adapt and it's just interesting to see whether mike mcdaniel is willing to do that because he seems like a guy who's like really really smart but maybe he's too smart because he's like not just willing to do the thing which is obvious and kind of get it done like i feel like the form of this game which gives both teams the best chance of winning is to do the thing that they refuse to do which is just run the ball get it done but i do think with with the way the kansas city defense has been playing this year and how much better it is and how beaten up the the, the miami defense is that if it's a grinding game i think the edge has to go to kansas city and they get it done obviously in arrowhead cold conditions loud fans I think they get it done, but uh, it's probably not the exciting matchup we would have thought if we saw this uh, previewed in week one. Don't be so sure about the loud fans. This is uh, Tickets are available for about $60 at the moment because of how cold it's going to be. <laughs> That's them, like, pussy Miami fans, you know? I don't know. I don't know. There might there might also be complacent Chiefs fans who are like, well, maybe it won't be as cold next week. I mean, we joke about the weather, but I think it is going to be a huge factor for a Miami team who are, a, you know, they're a warm weather team. They're notoriously bad at traveling. They, anytime they go up to Buffalo, they have an awful time. I think they're going to struggle. And then I think the other thing is that it's going to be a grind. And I think, the, as we talked about a few weeks ago, I think the Chiefs maybe have now a blueprint for how to grind the game out. That they, the game against the Bengals, when they, you know, kicked six field goals or whatever, take what's been given to you. Be okay with kicking field goals, run the ball a lot. I think the blueprint is there. I find it difficult to find a way that the Dolphins are going to win this game, given that the Chiefs' defense will have answers for Hill, you'd imagine, and be able to stifle them. And on the other side, Dolphins in the cold with a banged-up defense against an offense that is not playing at 100%, but knows how to win games like this. I think the Chiefs should be comfortable enough in this one, to be honest. Next up, we have Pittsburgh traveling to Buffalo. We've gone for Buffalo across the board on this one. If, if it wasn't for the fact that yeah, I thought, I oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> I would be yeah. hemming and awing here. <laughs> also, like Pittsburgh are down TJ Watt. We've seen what a difference TJ Watt makes to that defense. It's a defense that's going to need to slow down Allen. Now, as we talked about, they might just need to slow down Allen for five minutes. That might be all he decides to play in this game. But... Without TJ Watt, that's going to be significantly more difficult to do. They've had a lot of people step up in different spots. Surprisingly, it's it's been the, the rookie tight end that was stepping up mostly in the last game. But, you know, they've got Diggs. Cook is good on the ground there. Davis has been all right, but he caused a couple of penalties last week. Shakir's had a couple of bunch plays here and there. Like, there's weapons on this Buffalo team, which I think is something that has been lacking for a while on it. Cook provides a decent run game to them. They've had one or two games where he's really kind of taken over. They've got something in... 
obviously Diggs is, is a top end kind of guy, but like Kincaid is really step up from the tight end position. So it, it's there for them. It's just a matter of they've not been able to put it together for a full game for the last while. The Steelers on the other side, Rudolph has been more explosive than the other quarterbacks that they've had in the season have been. So that gives them a chance, you know. He's been connecting deep downfield with Pickens and Johnson and they've got a they've got a decent run game there if they can get the ball. Like from from a Pittsburgh perspective, I'd be looking at this and saying equally it's going to be a cold weather game, not quite as cold I think, but there's worries about the um what's it called, the lake effect or whatever thing happening mm, again. So proper the, snow. Yeah, so there's talk about that coming in so a snow game and I do think Pittsburgh No, no, no. Connor, Connor, they're, they're snow games. It's lake snow games. That's like the one the Buffalo Bills had where it was like Shady McCoy was yeah, like running. Like that's that was like great. That's like feet of snow. Not into the snow, feet of snow so possible. We, so we're gonna have to see Fingers Buff, crossed. Buff, Buffalo are the home team here, so Pittsburgh will be in whites, so they'll be harder to see. So that gives them a, a slight advantage. What they're what they're gonna wanna do is they're gonna wanna get their ground game going they're going to want to work the trenches they want to then like work off play action to get a couple of deep shots but they want to play ball control if it's going to be a cold crappy day buffalo are from this region but we saw what happened in the playoffs last year on a cold day if you can start to assert yourself on the line if you can get your run game going they shit the bed at home in the playoffs last year because it was crappy weather and they weren't able to do with it Pittsburgh, if they're to win this game, have to show that they are tough bastards from the AFC North and they don't take this kind of shit and they just kind of knock them around, lean on the run game, control the time of possession. That's their hope. And then, you know, weather the six minutes of spectacular play you get from Josh Allen and then try and come back and control the ball and kick a field goal to win. On paper, the Bills... They should be the better team. They have the better offense, and they've, as we talked about, they found some answers on the defense that should get them over the line. But if this is a weather, I I kind of feel like this could be a very psychologically important game for the Bills, especially if it's a weather game, because this Bills team is really talented. But as you talked about, they're flaky and they seem to always crumble in big moments. Whereas the Steelers, Tomlin Steelers, they're just a team that just grinds wins out, right? Like if Tomlin gets his team to just lock down into a horrible run game fest that ends up like 6-3 or something, then, you know, the Bills can't compete with that. It's whether the Bills can allow themselves to play their own game, whether Josh Allen can stay out of his own head and not do things, not, you know, be over-aggressive chasing touchdowns when a field goal will do or stuff like that. Like, it's going to need a very disciplined performance from the Bills, especially if the weather is bad. But if they do keep that discipline and Josh, Josh Allen does the things that he can do, I think they have the talent on both sides to win because I don't as much as Rudolph has played well I don't I, I'm not I'm not a believer in the Mason Rudolph experience and I don't think they'll be able to keep, compete with the Bills at the top level of their form but if the Steelers can get inside the heads of the Bills players and the weather is bad then honestly anything can happen I don't think it's expected to be you know proper full snow yet but it's possible so keep an eye on that that will make it a really cool game i think you're both right basically like like buffalo need to show their steel i think they need to do what they did against dallas basically they need to show that they can run the ball well like and tough this stuff out because of course like you know if they can run the ball well with cook they also have josh allen who's one of the best rushing quarterbacks in the league and obviously you're in the playoffs now so you let that all out and i do think like pittsburgh are a significant step down from like Burroughs, Cincinnati Bengals last year, so I don't think there's going to be struggles there, but it feels like they should have enough to get this done. Pittsburgh, I think, you know, it's going to be all about can Harris get this job done like he did against 
Baltimore. I think in these type of conditions, I don't expect the, the play action game from Pickens and Johnson to be as big a factor as it has been down their like their stretch, uh, their home stretch. Um, so it really will come down to can they run the ball well? And yeah, it just feels like you know two Rams hitting their head against each other. Uh, tough old school football. So you get it done, and we'll just see how much snow, how much wind, how much rain there is. Uh, one for the purest at the very least. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to that one. Green Bay at Dallas is up next. We've gone for Dallas across the board. Talked about Jordan Love looking good there. He's kind of really rounded the form by the back end of the season. But he does have mistake-prone games from time to time, and this is a fairly well-considered Dallas defense. They have good players on it. They have difference makers, so how will he be able to work against them? He was very good on timing rights last week to avoid pressure, or at least get the ball off before he got absolutely crushed. So we'll see how he does against his Dallas team. The concern is probably going to be the Green Bay defense in this game. They got a good amount of pressure on the Bears last week, but the Bears do not have a particularly good offensive line, whereas Dallas's is fairly all right. In addition to that, they, you know, say hold the ball, move around the pocket, consider scrambling kind of guy, whereas like this Dak CD Lamb connection that we've seen the last couple of weeks is just madness. Like ever since CD Lamb went in and talked to the head coach and said, Look, just start treating me like I'm a number one receiver and just keep feeding me the ball. He's, you know, he's had games of what, 13, 18, 19 receptions. <laughs> like he's just, he's just an absolute force of nature. And then you're firing on top of that. You've got Cooks there. You've got a couple like Gallup and people like that behind him. Jake Ferguson, the tight end, has come on massively. Tony Pollard even looked good last week. So like you know, they're they're getting pieces going all around now. You know, I, I don't know if it's to do with McCarthy or whether it's to do with just the players kind of hitting their stride or finding a bit of confidence. They're at home, which is important. We talked multiple times so far on the, the home away splits for this team. They're at home. They are a more talented roster and a more experienced roster than Green Bay. They are strong where they need to be strong to try and cause hassle for the Green Bay team. But I'm still not discounting it because the Dallas team have a history of shitting the bed. They blow up in playoffs. They make mistakes. They get frustrated. And like that's what we saw on most of the games that they lost when they went on that two-game loss streak. It's that they got frustrated and then they weren't able to function. They're kind of quite mercurial at times. And like that's that's Green Bay's chance here is to get up a score, straight them once or twice on the uh, get a defensive stop or two and just get them into their own heads cuz like on paper Dallas should win this 9 out of 10 times, but it's the playoffs now and that's where Dallas are likely to kind of collapse. All the pressure is on Dallas. Like they got their home game and now they're playing a team that the seventh seed and who have been very inconsistent this season. You know, there's some they should win, right? But it's Dallas. McCarthy probably playing for his job if he loses this, possibly fired. Obviously that he's playing against his old team, who you know, very ignominious end for him in Green Bay, not very dignified. Obviously the history between Dallas and Green Bay in the playoffs has been fairly tilted in favour of Green Bay, with some pretty embarrassing losses albeit in a, basically in a different era. Yeah, you kind of go, okay, uh, like what Dallas are we getting? Because, you know, we came through this entire season and you get to the end of it and you go like, okay, Dallas won the NFC East. But you kind of go, well, mostly Philly lost the NFC East and Dallas were there to pick up the pieces. And you kind of go, they're still the same team that they've always been. Incredibly talented. When they're on their shit, they are able to beat anyone in the league, I would say. And at home, they are a different force. But you just go always got we we always had that doubt in the back of our mind, and there's been enough times this season where it hasn't gone their way, like the Buffalo loss, where you go those same frailties, those same issues, like you know the kind of 
Mike McCarthyism of it all won't work out. And I don't know if it'll be in this game, but you kind of go, uh, you know, maybe they get called away the NFC Championship gym, just get whacked by the 49ers. But it does feel like this could happen here. But I think Dallas, like they have a really impressive pass game. Dak is having one of his best seasons. He's cut out most of the turnovers. His connection with CD is at now that elite level. You know, you have other weapons that Cooks has stepped up towards back half of the season. Ferguson has been a factor, you say. And you say, even running the ball, they've done that. They've, they've, I think they've made a concerted effort in the last few games, albeit against lesser competition, to run the ball, to get Pollard going. And I think you saw the fruits, some fruit bear from that towards the back half. So, and their defense, quite streaky. Uh, they may or may not have Stefan Gilmore in this game. I think it's, it's it edging towards him being in there. But, you know, we know the secondary isn't perfect and the linebacker isn't there, but their front you know, with, with Marcus Lawrence, Michael Parsons, like they have the capacity to make Jordan Love's really hard job really, really hard. So for Green Bay, it's much more, I think, you know, Dallas are mercurial, but Green Bay are even harder to read because obviously they're such a young team, it's emerging. If Jordan Love can put up a really good game here, if he can deal with the pressure, you say, which I think he's got better down the back half, cut out those like dumb deep shot interceptions that he was throwing for the first half of the season. If Aaron Jones is at his like proper Aaron Jones and really runs all over this Dallas defense, which we saw James Cook do only a few weeks ago, if this Green Bay defense under Joe Barry, it isn't just a mirage because they're playing Nick Mullins and Justin Fields, if they could actually have found something, found some adjustment, he's actually adjusted his game, which he is basically notorious for not doing, then Green Bay have the capacity to surprise. Dallas on form, on the course of, of what they put in the season, have to be favoured here. But I've got a bad feeling for them, to be honest. I do think Green Bay are going to make things scary for them. It reads to me like the previous game. One team has a talent advantage, in this case Dallas, but the psychology is going to be massive. Obviously, Dallas have the, the weight of history leaning upon them. The Packers have nothing to lose with this young team that probably shouldn't be in the playoffs. And I, I do think the Mike McCarthy thing might become a factor. I mean, he's taken over the offensive play calling and he's going to be on that sideline staring across at the young hotshot whippersnapper who took his job on the other side being like, I got to outplay this guy. And he might start doing some stupid things, start trying to, you know, complicate and, and over overthink his his place call strategy and that's where Dallas start making mistakes when they start to do things that they they start to get away from just you know play standard they start to try and do fancy things they could fall away I think that because Prescott is Dak Prescott is in a good place the CD Lamb combination obviously is quite working I think they've got enough offense that maybe it'll pull them through anyway but uh, yeah I can definitely see Mike McCarthy out thinking himself here and doing something stupid and bringing the whole Cowboys thing down upon him Next up, the Rams are heading to Ford Field to take on the Detroit Lions. Me and Ronan have gone for the Lions, ride or die. Sean has decided to uh, back off it and go for the Rams. He's he's trying to make up for his uh, earlier cowardice where we bullied him (laughs) off the spot. (laughs) <laughs> fair enough, I call 10 and 7 I called them 10 and 7 straight down the line and then yeah chickened out this, this obviously is, is some fun in this so Stafford is returning to Detroit for a playoff game unfortunately not for Detroit obviously so the question is will that offense with Nakua and Cup and Williams be able to do some horrible horrible things to a now healthy Detroit defense but we will still say not moribund but struggling I think is the is, is the way to put it they, they, they've not been the best of late Goff is obviously going to be playing against the team who you know traded him as as an afterthought to a trade thinking that he was a make weight and now he's here playing at home versus uh <laughs> versus them on the road so he's He'll be quite motivated, one would think. So the question is, can he deliver the killing blow here and not have one of his... We, we've talked about this. There's 
two forms of golf. There is the really impressive, doesn't make mistakes, kind of just diagnoses it up and does well. And then there's the guy who throws two or three picks in the first half and then has to make it up yeah. afterwards. Jared Goff and Jared Goof. Yeah, Jared Goof. <laughs> cannot be seen in this game if this game is to be a success for them what they do have is a very good running attack with Gibbs and Montgomery there and they can lean on that this is a Rams team that has a great offense but like we said their defense is is somewhat lacking they've got Aaron Donald and he's great they've got a couple of players stepping up here and there but like they're not a top to bottom terrifying defense so this will be you, you would expect that they're going to be able to score. I would imagine that overall this is going to be quite a high-scoring game. I think both offenses are going to be able to, to get their way there. There's something quite fun about these quarterbacks playing each other in the playoffs for the opposing teams. I'm expecting fireworks. I think whichever team's defense is able to get a play, get a get a pick or whatever in this one is going to be the one that's going to do it because I, I can't imagine it's going to be a defense-first game. I have a sickening feeling about this game because I think the narrative demands that Matt Stafford go back to Detroit and whoop their asses, basically. I love the Lions and it's great to see they've gotten over their kind of their mid-season yips where everything was falling apart. They seem to have fixed their defense to a certain extent. Their offense, Goff is making fewer mistakes and they seem to be back, not quite at their early season form, but they seem to be in a very good place. They're a worthy third seed and they're coming up against their old flame comes into the building with his with his new bow and i just i just have a feeling stafford's going to go off on one i just feel like he's going to have like a 500 yard game that six touchdowns or something and he's just going to break every single lions fans hearts over again it, it's, it is ultimately just a feeling it's just it's just vibes i just kind of feel the this the narrative demands the rams win this one as much as i would love to see the lions keep going i i, I kind of feel i know you're right the the big thing is the defense is the detroit defense looks probably better than the rams defense on paper but the rams are also in a very good form place of form stafford has been in very good the last few weeks so yeah either, either team going through i'd kind of be happy i'd be happier with the lions but I, I do have a feeling the rams are going to take it sean just sidling back in it's like oh i always believed in you guys oh we're, we're good friends right <laughs> we're all good friends here i love the rams it's like but didn't you say that you're the te- we're the team the biggest reduction in expectations of at the start of the season no, not me, guys. Like, that must be the other Sean Butler. Uh, I hate that guy. Moment of weakness is all it was. It was a single It's our fault. We bullied you. It's our fault, Connor. Like, we'll, we'll take the L on that. We all love Detroit. And this Ford Field faithful could do with a win. Like, this is, uh, this is the first time they're going to host the playoff game in forever, basically. And they have a chance here to, you know, beat Matt Stafford and it'll all be very lovely and move on from there. Like, we know the things that work for Detroit. We know the run game is really, really good and the defensive line for the Rams has been solid, but I think you can run the ball on them. So they need to run the ball and, as you say, Jared Goff just can't do the interception thing, which I think, thankfully, he's cut out in the recent weeks, but they'd have some yips there only a month or so ago. And obviously, with Aaron Donald and people like that, you know, you, you certainly don't want to get pressured by them. On the other hand, it's really just Matt Stafford does Matt Stafford things. If Matt Stafford's playing at his highest level against the middling Detroit defense, they are going to score points. And with Cup and Nakua both playing at a high level and Kyron Williams running the ball really effectively, I think Detroit will need to score a fair amount of points to make this a win. So I feel this will be a high-scoring game. Back and forth a lot of emotions in on the field a lot of like no noise from the fans um but i because I, I like detroit in a 50 50 game i'm willing to call for it and they they get their their moment in the sun as it were and they move their amon raw sun and they move forward there. yeah hutch closes it out with a big sack at the end that'll be a, a nice yeah. cherry on top for them 
And on to Monday Night Football, everyone's favourite matchup, Philadelphia at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Mm. Truly, you know, we're like a couple of weeks out from the holiday period and, you know, there's like sweet tub and there's like bounties in there or like strawberry roses and you're like, ugh, get the, this away from me. The, the, it's the still, cream egg heroes that no one yeah. wants. Like. So that, that that's this game. Uh, so we'll, On, on the yeah. plus side though, like its existence suggests that you might get a dump off next week. <laughs> We'll, we'll see. Like, uh, I suppose in terms of analysis, look, Philly, horrendous the last while. Nothing's gone right. Now Jalen Hurts has a broken finger or his finger's fucked up. AJ Brown is probably going to play, but his ankle's fucked up. Deontay Smith fucked up his ankle. He might be back for this game. So I don't know, like, you know, run the ball with DeAndre Swift maybe might work because they still have a decent OL, even if it's underperformed recently. Yeah. But their defense is just gone rotten recently rotten even the even the supposedly good defensive linemen don't do much but they are playing Tampa Bay a team that's also rotting from the inside like the version of Tampa Bay that you saw a month ago is not the version like Baker looked hurt he was hobbling off the field every it's like he's and we know he's a guy that when his mechanics get off when he is injured things can go off the track very bad. I think it has been much a part factor this year, but we've seen enough in previous years to be yeah. very concerned about this. That, this uh, is a game of top of- that, that Cleveland playoff game two or three years ago where we just saw like he, his shoulder wasn't right and he was just missing everything. So the reason I'm picking Tampa Bay is because I think with Rashad White, he's been a pleasant surprise this year. I think he can carry this offense to some extent. It's not going to be a good offense, but enough offense to kind of get them enough points. And I think their defense, at least some of his defense, has been completely collapsed in itself recently. Like, it's not a great defense, but they haven't, like, suddenly gone way off the boil. So I think Tampa Bay, this game is going to be rotten, basically horrible. Don't stay up for this if you're in, in our time zone. Basically 50-50 because both these teams are so unreliable right now. And they're just begging for a whack in, in the next round, basically. Yeah, like, I think I, 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 I'm going Philly in this one, and I think it's just because... I think there's still enough talent on this team. I think their offense has has still been able to put up points, maybe not as effectively as it before on, but like it still works. We've got a lot of injuries, but this isn't a killer defense in Tampa Bay. The guys will be massively up for, for, for this game. And I think on the defensive side for Philly, they're not going to be fixed by any rate, but I think there are players that they have been saving legs for for the playoffs, and they can see how dire straight they are at the moment. So like the likes of Carter has been on very minimal snap counts to try and save his legs for later in the season because he wasn't used to it. They've got depth there. Like Their linebackers are still terrible but a banged up Baker Mayfield I think they should be able to handle this much like when you think about like they lost to the Cardinals but there was you know dynamism in that there was you know a decent running game which as you said White's there but like there was there was a good running game paired with like explosive plays and a, a quarterback who could escape whereas like <laughs> a banged up Baker Mayfield isn't escaping anything so I think Philly's defense is still not going to do great their D-line is going to turn a slight bit of a corner and turn it on here. And that'll be the difference in a game that is abysmal to watch. Yeah, it'll be a bad game, but ultimately there is a, there's a huge talent differential. Even if the Eagles are in terrible form, they're just a much better team than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the books are not really playoff caliber. And if you put an injured Baker Mayfield at quarterback, I struggle to see how they're going to do an awful lot, even against an Eagles team that's off form. I think the Eagles still have enough, even with their injuries and their issues with confidence to, to grind this one out just about. They'll probably put out their misery the following week. But I, I think I think on the talent differential, you've got to give the edge to the Eagles here. And don't discount the fact that if 
the Eagles are to lose here, particularly with all the rumours flying around, that could very well be the nail in the coffin of this head, head of this uh, coaching staff. So bear, expect literally everything that can be pulled out, pulled out if it starts to go poorly. So that, that's maybe the only fun bit that could happen, is that you could see some real desperation. Non-stop silly specials all day. <laughs> Well, that'll, that'll wrap up the games. Any plans for the weekend other than obviously all the football? I think it's going to be a quiet one, yeah. We, we've got a wedding the weekend after next, so I think this is like the one weekend, the last five, that we can actually just chill out. So we'll probably... Very good. You don't, do have, to go, you don't have to go car shopping now? No. Uh, my wife's... It's such a doctor story. Uh, one of the other doctors has a spare car that she can borrow for a few weeks. So uh, <laughs> she's doing that. She just has a spare car lying around, of course. <laughs> Very good. So nice relaxing one for yourself. Anything for yourself, Fitz? No, it's quiet enough. Yeah, just didn't manage to, to make it out of the, the end of the season with the the winning record percentage, but uh, hopefully I'll uh, yes, up we, for it in we, the playoffs. We're very close. So we ended up with me on 167 and you guys on 168. So it was one game between us. But the playoffs are here. Now's the time to separate. Yeah, we can tie break it. We can tie break it, yeah. Like it no, was, a, it was fuck, an interesting... fuck the tie break and I'm still in this. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, I mean, fair enough. <laughs> As usual, I've done my like assessment of the season. Apparently, the teams we talked most about were Buffalo, Philly, and Kansas City. Not surprising. The teams we cared least about, New Orleans. No surprise there. Uh, they had a season. Tennessee and Arizona. Tennessee, the most interesting they did was fire their coach. Arizona, we thought they were terrible, so we talked about them early on, and then we forgot about them. We cared a lot about the AFC East. We did not care about the NFC South. That is completely fair. And our preseason predictions, I was 66 off. Sean was 74 off and Connor was 78 off. So we, me and Connor had 8 out of 14 playoff teams and Sean was 9 out of 14. That Rams yes. pick getting them over the, the left there. And yeah. he had the most perfect, perfect predictions. Six yes, perfect. perfect predictions. Yet somehow still lost. I don't know. Sean's like a bit of a random number generator. It's, it's yeah. interesting. Very exciting. And our, our worst prediction... Connor got Tampa Bay completely wrong. I got Carolina completely wrong. And Indianapolis, uh, Sean got that completely wrong. Fuck those side leagues, basically. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. No one cares about them. <laughs> we certainly don't. We don't talk about the NFC side. Very good. Yeah, I think I've got a TNT game on this weekend. And then, uh, obviously, just football, chilling, and taking the dog to learn how to go find, you know, Dr. Richard Kimball when he's on the on the run or whatever. <laughs> so, uh, that'll be a good crack. I suppose that'll wrap us up for now. So, I suppose it's bye from myself. Bye from Fitz. Bye. Bye from Sean. Bye. This has been all four quarters. Thanks for listening. We'll chat to you.